This week on For Crying Out Loud. She was a foster mom. Now she's not. But at the time, she was a foster mom. She's been a foster mom, and she ended up adopting two of the girls that she took in to foster. And I I never pictured foster parents to look like her. She's, you know, her and her husband, gorgeous, good-looking. Yeah, Gary's like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, Gorgeous, young foster parents. And then then she started telling me as she blow-dries my hair, and she's, she's like badass. She'll do my hair in like 20 minutes. Anyway... She'll start telling me, like, all the shit that she has to go through as a foster parent and, like, what the state provides and what they give you and what they don't give you and then what happens when the parents want to come around, the real parents. Oh, it's just unbelievable. So many stories. So I just thought it was very fascinating. been wanting her to come on the show, and now she's here. Check out an all-new episode of For Crying Out Loud this Friday or go to cryingoutloudshow.com only from Corolla Digital. This is Corolla Digital. Hello, my little razzles. It's me, Allison. Before the show officially starts, a few words. One, I spilled soda all over myself earlier, specifically my crotch area. So as I sit here in a puddle of my own diet black cherry flavored soda, I feel like I've either jumped in a pool or like I've wet myself. It's pretty uncomfortable. If you need something to spice up your life, try wetting your entire crotch and butt area and it'll bring you back to when you were young and you had either uh, spilled on yourself or wet yourself. But moving on, I think we have some iTunes comments of the week. Do we not, Gary? Allison wants your iTunes comments. Allison wants them. Yes, she does. Please leave her some iTunes comments and don't forget to click five stars. All right, so we have two iTunes comments of the week this week. The first one is by Nameless97, and it is titled Best Friend for All. Allison truly is my BFF. This is coming from 30-year-old guys, uh, 30-year-old guys guy tattoo artist. Totally the opposite demographic of the show, you would think. What? You think I should be listening to sports, guns, or car podcasts? I say nay. Allison provides an entertaining podcast with insightful questions for the guests. You really get to know the person Allison interviews much more than on any other podcast I have ever heard, including the episodes of Adam Carolla's show. Her wit and cunning jokes hit my funny bone every time. Even on the other podcasts, I laugh when she tries to throw in a little wise and it gets and it goes unnoticed. They are they are like little gems. In conclusion, listen to these podcasts for good humor, good topics, and an interesting guests. You really get to know them. Five stars all the way. This is a four and a half star average is ridiculous. Isn't there a PS about how great you are? Come on, Gary. Also, Gary does a great job with the audio. (laughs) Wait, let's take a moment to appreciate that you were trying to pretend that was the end of the comment. Take your compliment from the 30-year-old tattoo artist guy's guy, guy. All right, all right. Also, Gary does a great job with the audio producing. The levels are perfect and the voices are perfectly clear. Great job all around. Thank you very much, Nameless97. Yes, thank you. Why did you not want to read that? Because you're bashful? Yes. If the rest of us were bashful, there would be no such thing as show business. I don't even know what that means, but I think I discredited, <laughs> I discredited uh, a personality flaw in myself for all of entertainment everywhere. All right, all right. Moving on. We have one more. This one is by Hala underscore Day. I like that. And it is titled Q, or question rather. How can one girl have so many BFFs? Allison is a great interviewer. It's like I'm listening to a really great conversation instead of an interview. It's so good that sometimes I feel guilty like I'm eavesdropping, so I guess it's a guilty pleasure. 
This podcast not only has great guests, but the topics cover pretty much everything. It's really easy to relate to. The best part of the podcast is when Allison reveals things about herself. She's honest about her imperfections, which make you love her more. True. And I recently got a comment from someone saying that listening to the comments people leave, you can tell how intelligent people are, how intelligent people who listen to this show are. And I say, yes, because obviously you have to be intelligent to think that I'm great. God, I'm becoming... As much as I try to veer away from the obnoxiousness that draws me like a magnet to it, um, I'm like steering in. I'm hydroplaning on obnoxiousness. Anyway, thank you guys for your comments. I love them. Um, If you would like to have your comment be an iTunes comment of the week, then just leave an iTunes comment for us and um, make it five stars, whether you think it deserves it or not. But I think you Here I go again, right into the obnoxiousness. Um, Also... If you buy something on Amazon and you click through the banner on AllisonRosen.com, which I always tell you to do because it doesn't cost you anything extra, but it helps out the show, um, send an email to the show and tell us what you bought, and maybe we'll read that email on the show, this show. Could I say show more? No. Uh, you can email us at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F at AdamCarolla.com. And someone did send in an email saying that they bought condoms through the banner on my site. And then it like devolved into something like, so every time I'm fucking my wife, I'm helping your show. And I thought, I don't feel like reading that one. Although I think Gary's bringing it up. No, there was one that came in today that I don't know if you've seen yet. I haven't seen it yet. It was a tweet, and it was tweeted to both of us, and it is by Chico IT Guy, and it says, Just ordered a Kindle HD and iPod alarm clock through your site. Thanks for the great pod! Exclamation point. Oh, thank you. So, thank you, Chico IT Guy. That's right. And thank you to Condom Guy, even though I just didn't feel like uh, um, giving you props for all the sex you're having. But hey, great. That's great you're having sex. Anyway, moving on. Uh... I need to say a few words about some of our fine sponsors. Brand new sponsor, which I'm very excited about, scorebig.com. This is like Priceline for tickets. You can buy tickets for sporting events, concerts, musicals, plays. What it's, am I what what kind of events am I leaving out, Gary? Uh yeah. All live of them. Perfor- live performances yes. of any kind, really. Right. It, it, you go on and there's just – there's a million things and they're always adding new stuff. Yes. Yeah. They're constantly adding new stuff in real time because here's the thing. Let's say you want to buy tickets to a sporting event and you hear that it's sold out. You just know that it's not really sold out and I guarantee you if you were to go there, you would see that there's a chunk of tickets because things are – are labeled sold out when they are not really sold out. And so the awesome thing that Scorebig has done is they give you access to some of these seats and you set the price. You say, I would pay this, and if they can do it, they will do it. Right. So it's it's so cool. I was playing around with this after we got off the phone with these guys. And it's it's very similar to uh, – you basically, you go in and you say, I want to go to a Lakers game, for instance. And the price will always be at least 10% off. But what you do is you go in and they have different levels. So there's like the three-star level, which is kind of higher up in the in the rafters. You know, the, the two-star level. And then it goes all the way up to five-star, which are right around the court. So you click on which section you want and then you make them an offer. This is how much I'm willing to pay. And they, if they can do it, then on the spot right there, you get your, you get your confirmation that you've won and that you, you get the tickets at that price. And what's really cool about it is they build it all in. So if you say, I'm willing to pay $120 a ticket and you want two tickets, if you're 
offer is accepted, it's $240, done, out the door. Right. No There's not going to be any hidden fees no or nonsense. service charges yep. like there are with the other sites. Go to scorebig.com and enter the code BESTFRIEND at checkout and get an extra $15 off scorebig.com's already low prices for your first order. Tickets on scorebig.com are always below box office price, which is guaranteed. Don't forget to enter be- enter best friend at checkout and get an extra $15 off scorebig.com's already low prices for your first order. Um, and as you know, they will be tracking, you know, who comes to them via best friend. So be my best friend and go to them and then go to awesome events and then tell us about it and save money and everyone wins. Also, I want to tell you guys about stamps.com. If you are a small business or if you have a home business or if you mail stuff a lot, you need stamps.com because it saves you the inconvenience and the hassle of going to the post office and watching your precious time slip through your fingers as you stand there carrying big Big packages with stamps.com you can buy and print out official u.s postage from your desk using your printer uh, and you don't have to spend a lot on renting a postage meter because you don't even have to rent a postage meter at all that's the whole point of stamps.com and they throw in a uh, awesome free digital scale so you are never paying extra you know that thing that you probably do. I know that I used to do it before I got stamps.com, which is where you're like, I don't is this, I don't know how much postage to put on this and the idea of it getting returned to me is too much to bear, especially because I don't want to waste an extra, you know, number of days having to then send it back out again. It's not worth it. So I'm just going to put on extra postage. You don't have to do that because it tells you exactly how much you should put on. Yes, Gary? Yeah, I just had to send a, a couple of magazines to somebody and I was late in doing it because I don't have stamps.com that I can use so I, I had to go to the post office and i got there and ended up probably putting more postage on than the entire contents of the package cost because i was not dealing with it coming back and this this is where i need stamps.com right there was one time that my mom sent, was supposed to send me something and it didn't get there and i said where was this thing and she said oh it got returned to me because i didn't put on enough postage and i wanted to kill her because i was like it would have been an extra I don't even know how much it was not. So that's why she needed stamps.com. Basically, save your family. Get stamps.com and save your time and your money. Use my name, Allison, for a special offer. It's a no-risk trial plus it's a $110 bonus offer, which includes a digital scale and up to $55 free postage. Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Allison. That's stamps.com. Enter Allison. And again, I'll say it just like I said before. um, They will be looking to see how many people came to them using the code Allison. That's my name. I'm Allison. Um, So if you want to help out the show... Sign up for stamps.com and you'll be helping out yourself. And finally, go to meeting. We love them. Go to meeting by Citrix. Uh, You can be in a coffee house. You can be across the country. You could be in a hammock. You could be on the beach. You could be at a limbo contest. But why would you be? This limbo is not fun no matter what. Um, And you can meet face-to-face, you know, virtually uh, with your colleagues using GoToMeeting. There's no need to haul your butt into the, especially not if you have a soggy butt like I do right now, because I, uh, you know, the whole soda mishap. Um, You don't have to get yourself to the office or to wherever to meet with your colleagues. Now you can just do it using GoToMeeting. You can see them in HD, crystal clear. You can hear each other. You can collaborate on documents together. And you can do this from your computer or your laptop. Or you can also do it with an iPad. And you can now host meetings on the iPad just using the Citrix app. Um, Gary? 
Yeah, that's a that's a new upgrade that they've launched, which is really cool to the iOS app. So it used to be that if you were the one hosting the meeting, which you know a lot of times the boss or whoever has to do that, so that they can you know control who's being invited and such, you would have to lug your laptop with you to wherever you were. But now they've enhanced it so you can now host the meeting from your iPad, so you don't have to have your laptop with you. Whereas before you could join and participate from an iPad, now you can host and get mm-hmm. all of the administrative controls that come with that. So it's a really useful feature, uh, especially for you know, business travelers and people who don't necessarily want to lug uh, all their gear right. around with them it's, at all times. It is powerfully simple. And it's awesome. And I love that they are continuing to add cool features and to improve it. Not that it needs improvement. Start hosting your own face-to-face meetings online today using GoToMeeting. My listeners can try it free for 45 days. Don't wait. For this special offer, visit GoToMeeting.com. Click on the Try It Free button and use the promo code Allison. Be sure to use the promo code Allison. I don't think I need to tell you that I'm Allison, and that's why that's the promo code. And here's a very, very, very exciting thing that makes me jealous, which is that we are going to be giving away an iPad, and this is sponsored by GoToMeeting. And I say I'm jealous because I want the new iPad, uh, but instead we're just going to give it to one of you and the way you can win this iPad is, you tell us, if you could host a meeting from anywhere in the world using GoToMeeting, where would it be and why? So you can host a meeting from anywhere in the world using GoToMeeting, where would it be and why? Tweet your answer to us, that's at Allison Rosen or at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F, either is fine. Um, tweet your answer using the hashtag AllisonFreeiPad, A-L-I-S-O-N, free iPad. I'm going to assume you know how to spell it. Um, And then we'll choose a winner and then you'll get an iPad, which will be autographed by me. And a few of my tiers will probably be on it too, because I'll be jealous. Um, And we'll throw in a few stickers. I was going to say, we're going to throw in some other paraphernalia too. But uh, I just wanted to say that for, because there obviously is limited space on Twitter, if you use that hashtag, assume we know the question. Just, you, you don't have to explain that this is where you would do it from and why. Just, you know, Put it, put it out there, put out your answer, and, uh, and we'll figure it out. We're That's smart right. cookies. That's right. I feel like people don't usually waste a lot of their characters explaining, though. Their well, characters on Twitter, you know? Yeah, that's true. No, I mean, it's a good thing to say, but I just want to say in general, I find People that, are stingy uh, with their characters. They really are. Yeah. But you have to be on Twitter, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Punct- really makes you think. Punctuations be damned. I know. Punct- you know. You know who's really caught the brunt of this? The ellipses. The, the ellipses have taken a large hit in recent years. And the actual correct quote marks, because people just use the single. The, I think they're called – I forget now what they're called. I used to know I forget what point. they're called too, but that's an ironic one because I've noticed that too. But it, it's not like the real quotation marks is two characters. Oh my god. Are you, are you it's right? It's still one character. Yeah. <gasps> I am guilty of this. I never no, no. even realized it's this. one character. Oh, I bet there's a way to make the ellipses one character too. There's probably some kind well, of special okay, wait, combination of now we're heading on, into nerd territory. Let, yes. me, let me clarify. Okay. The one on the front is one character and the one on the back is one character. Right. But this, wait, I'm doing a visual thing with my fingers. The two yeah. is, is not two characters versus the one. These are both one character. Right. That's right. what I'm saying. Yeah. Right. Meaning the single quote, which would indicate that you're, it's a quote within a quote. Right. Or the actual quotation mark. <laughs> I feel like we're going to get a lot of new listeners now with this. This is hot, hot keyboard talk with this Allison and Gary. Talk. Yeah, I know. It's a font of font talk. Um, but I feel like there's probably some kind of combination of keys to make just the ellipses in one. We have got to tinker with that. But here's the problem with that is that then on certain screens, it'll just show up as little boxes. And I hate that. That is really annoying when you get to a device that doesn't understand it. 
Yes. And and it just has this weird, sad little box right. that just makes it look like, I don't know, you're a crazy person. Right. Yeah. I know. A lot of times I miss out on smileys that people might be saying. Instead, it's just like box. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, um, I think that you guys will enjoy this episode with Jesse Thorne. I enjoyed talking to him, and I love you guys, and here we go. Here's the episode. Allison Rosen, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison, with perfect good times never end. Allison Rosen, do the way he pants again. Allison Rosen. Hey everyone, hi, hello, it is me, Allison Rosen, and welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. My guest today is Jesse Thorne, uh, owner of Maximum Fun Podcast Network. Is that, yeah, is that sure. the correct way Maximum to say Maximumfun.org? Yeah, sure. Okay. I'll take what you're giving me. I mean, I feel like you just corrected me and then also said, yeah, sure. It's but I was really nice about it. I corrected messages. you, but I was really nice about it. You're right. You're right, you are. And also host of Bullseye on Public Radio International. Absolutely perfect. And <laughs> co-host. You went I'm, to me like you I wanted know, a grade. I did. You pointed oh, at me. Grade. The audience can't hear this, but you pointed, you said it, you paused, you pointed at me like you wanted an evaluation. It was m- like my being like, uh-huh, I got it right, didn't I? I'm not super judgy. You're, you asked, you requested. You're right. Judgment. Yeah, I am. I feel you're, you're calling me out and you're absolutely right. <laughs> and also co-host of Jordan Jesse Go on MaximumFun.org. I just pointed to you again. 10 out of 10. Oh, thank you. 11 out of 10. Oh, my God. Thank you very much. Um, So, gosh, there's so many different places we could start because you're kind of a well-known figure in the um, nascent podcasting and public radio world. So I want to find out about that. I want to find out about the fact that you have a blog about men's fashion. Yes, a website. And then also I want to talk about... Uh, some of the stuff that we had talked about when I was on Jordan Jesse Go both times that was recorded as one episode. <laughs> oh, I feel background. so bad no, about that. No, don't feel bad. I, this is what happened. You were a guest on Jordan. You were kind enough to come in and be a guest on Jordan Jesse Go. And it was just after we had moved to a new studio. I, I did not have an engineer in that day because I think we, had, we were recording at an unusual time or something. I set up the recording wrong and recorded three tracks of one microphone. Mm-hmm. And so everyone was off microphone. But it, was my, we, it actually was my microphone, was it not? Yeah, I think it and was. And I was like, great. Well, we got the important stuff. <laughs> yeah. That's how I regarded it. We could have looped in me and Jordan's dialogue post facto. Right. Yeah. But I, That's what I'm saying. But what we ended up doing was we, we had recorded about an hour's worth of material. And you were kind enough to stick around and record for another hour and a half after that and make a whole show. And it's, it's like we had a rehearsal. one of the <laughs> nicest things. It's one of the like two or three great disasters. Once a few years ago, Bill Burr came on my show. We did this amazing interview. Bill Burr is an amazing guy in addition to being a brilliant comedian. And uh, I, something about copying and pasting it from one hard drive to another, I accidentally deleted it. And when I was that when, when the show was The Sound of Young America? Yeah, and I felt horrible about it. But anyway, I, I appreciated your uh, kindness in sticking around that time. Well, it was my pleasure. Kind of. Um, no, you seemed was... ambivalent about it at the time. <laughs> well, just I'm not going to lie. It was nice of you in part because you were clearly ambivalent about only, it. Only because... 
after you do a podcast, you sort of feel like I just like excavated a lot of stuff and I just sort of in a way performed even though I was being myself and bared my soul is too strong. But I just like my brain was just humming at a pretty fast pace. We should say so that the we notion got of pretty... doing it another hour and a half was like, oh, wow. But, you know, we I got think pretty it real. Well. We, we talked we about we get, I was basically a, I played an Oprah like role on that podcast. So I'm really sorry that we lost some of the stuff. See, I, I thought you like had a I couple real breakthroughs. I feel like I was the Oprah one. It was Oprah versus Oprah. <laughs> it was <laughs> classic yeah, it Oprah was. versus Oprah situation. <laughs> right. um, so anyway, though, you afterwards, though, you sent me a handwritten letter. And I thought that was a really nice touch. Do you do that with all your guests? No, I, I've been trying to more. You know, you know what happened is as part. <laughs> this is going to sound like a crazy self-parody. But as part of my menswear blog, mm. I run this thing called the Put This. It's called the Put This On. It's called the Put This On Gentlemen's Association, where uh, it's sort of like a pocket square of the month club. <laughs> and I sent. Uh, I don't know if you know Paul F. Tompkins, the comedian of course. Paul F. Tompkins. Yeah, he's I, also a snazzy dresser. Oh, he's, he's, he's a wonderful dresser and one of the funniest people there is. And I sent Paul a couple of pocket squares. Um, because I thought he would like them. And I, frankly, the number of people that I know in real life who would really appreciate me sending them some pocket squares, it's a short list. It's like Paul, Paul Feig. That's about it. <laughs> That's all I've got. Just guys named so Paul I sent him, yeah, so I sent him a couple pocket squares. He sent me back a really nice handwritten note. And I thought, you know what? When it's important, I should be writing people handwritten notes. And you were an example of that. Oh, thank you very much. Because I genuinely felt really bad. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, don't don't feel bad. It's it's behind us. And I feel like it turned out for the better anyway. Um, but one of the things we were talking about when it was Oprah v. Oprah mm-hmm. <laughs> was uh, I was saying that I don't have a ton of haters, but the ones I do, they're, they're full of hate. Uh, and I was saying that I noticed a trend, <laughs> which is that they, they're guys who just had babies. And you recently had a baby. Well, how old yeah, is your child? My, my son is now 13 months. Okay. And I was asking you, like, is there something that happens when you have a baby that makes you angry? And so then we went into a lot of, like, what that's like for a, for a dude, because you were basically suggesting that you kind of feel like... Um, sidelined almost. Well, you're completely, I mean, it, it's completely maddening and insane. It, mm-hmm. Your life falls apart. And it's, and I, when I say that, I want to be clear that, you know, it's something that I chose and that I love. You know, I, I love having my son in my life. But I was not, I'm, a, I'm the kind of guy who likes to be prepared for things, you know, which is why, how I ended up being the responsible party in my media empire. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was just like the guy that was willing to do that. Right. And the, you just can't be prepared for it. And especially, I think, in in my case, and I, and I think often a lot of people like here in Los Angeles who come here for work and so on, if you don't have family who are surrounding you, and, you know, our family, my, me and my wife's family have done what they can, but if they're not around and maybe... You know, as in our case, I'm I'm 31, and a, most of the people that I know who have kids are older than me, actually, because they all work in the entertainment industry. And never had a chance to have kids, and so you're just lost. You're just completely insane. And my wife and I also work together, um, so my wife, we just thought that at some point we would be able to get back to something like a normal life. And it's not the case. It is not the case. <laughs> so you're just in this sort of perpetual state of madness for at least a year. No, when you say back to a normal life, what do you mean? I mean, well, one thing is my wife and I thought that 
especially if we had a babysitter coming a couple days a week, that we would be able to get to the point where we were working where my wife was at least working part-time within a couple months. And what does your wife do? My wife is the development director of Maximum okay. Fund. So she does the fundraising for Maximum Fund. And um, no, that's not the case. That's not – my wife has only now started coming into the office and um, she works incredibly hard. So it's not even that – it's just it, – the scale of it is unprepareforable. <laughs> um, did – does her – here's what, what I, I – my fear is that when I have a kid, and I do want to have a kid, but when I do, it will pull me away from my career, not like I won't have the time for my career, but just that I won't care about being ambitious anymore. Have you yeah. noticed that happen? Well, my wife, you know, one of the things that my wife and I have been trying to figure out is, I mean, here's the thing. My wife has always been a mom, you know, like she's always been a nurturer. She's like the most nurturing person I've ever met. You know, she's just kind and wants to help people. You know, she cries when there's loose dogs on the street. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and not because she's like unhinged or something. She's just a very caring person. And so this is sort of – in some ways, it's like the job she was born to do, to be a mother. And, and it's – I think especially for a mother rel- relative to a father, it's like the most rewarding thing you could ever do ever. You know, like for when a baby is young, it really doesn't care about its father. Mm-hmm. So it's rewarding in the sense that you love it and you love your wife, but it doesn't give a crap about you, whereas it is physically latched on to the mom, right? So it's it's been a really, really intense experience for my wife, um, you know, from how she's described it to me and, and how I see it. I don't want to speak for her, but – and she doesn't want to – not have the life she had before. But on the other hand, there is definitely a part of her that I hear from her that just says, look, I just want to spend all of my time defending this baby from dinosaurs. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and and for you, how has it been? Like, Can you say a little more about the, the idea that it, the baby doesn't really care about you, the father? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it's um, he does now. He's 13 months now and, and he He's he thinks I'm really cool now. Um, <laughs> How can you tell? Uh, he well he's he wants to come up. I I work sometimes from home, and my office is in a bedroom that's upstairs from the rest of the house. And he'll come up the stairs. He'll and he and he's not big enough to c- walk upstairs, so mm-hmm. he's sort of he can walk, but he has to sort of flap upstairs. <laughs> and so I just hear him going, you know, his like his feet going plop plop plop, <laughs> and then I hear him going. Da 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 da. Like getting more and more. Ex- but on the other hand, so that's great. On mm-hmm. the other hand, he also does that sometimes. And the whole way up, he's. I, I can tell he's headed to my closet because the whole way up, he's going shoosh, shoosh, <laughs> shoosh. And then when he gets upstairs, I'm like, "Hi, Simon." And he just goes shoosh. And then he heads into my closet and picks up my shoes and goes shoosh. Oh. That's so cute. Yeah. So like you, he is interested in uh, all things sartorial. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's a definitely – right now his primary interest, if I were to say he had an interest, it would be putting something inside of something, hmm. which leads him to – Many men are interested in that. <clears throat> um, he likes uh, – he's into my – I have a sort of a bin for my socks. Mm-hmm. He likes to do that because he can open it, put my socks in, take them out, et cetera, et cetera. He's also really into trash, which he calls ash because he can't make TR. <laughs> so he, we have, he's been 
we try and focus him to put thing trash into the trash, which mm-hmm. he loves. He loves putting trash into the trash. When he finishes eating something that has packaging, he points at it. He goes, "Ash," oh. and we're like, "Yeah." And then he and then he you know waddles over and throws it in the trash can. But he also will throw away occasionally like a shoe or a <laughs> baby monitor. Or <laughs> right. You realize you're now that person that talks about this stuff, right? You ask me. I know. <laughs> Your fault. Your, I was ready to talk about menswear, podcasting, Paul F. Tompkins. Nope. You brought up baby stuff. So the pocket square, mm-hmm. is this different than a scarf or kerchief? Yes. So How so? It's, uh, it's similar to a handkerchief. Okay. Um, it is, it's a handkerchief that is for aesthetics rather than for blowing your nose into. Right. So, like a dicky handkerchief. Um, and so, a fake. It's just a little bit of uh, it's it's an a, accessory. It's an accessory. It's like a necktie. Yeah. It, exactly. And you, it could be as simple as just plain white linen. And in fact, I, you know, I, whenever I'm wearing a sport coat, I'm, I'm usually wearing one. And half the time, maybe more, it's just plain white linen. Mm-hmm. But um, or it could just or it could be, you know, as as beautiful and complicated as any um, necktie is and made of silk and shiny. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's basically just a, a piece of fabric with edges, finished edges that you put in that breast pocket. And I think that for a lot of people who care about menswear and care about men's style, it's sort of the difference between, um, it's the difference between wearing what you're required to wear and being dressed. You know what I mean? So it's like the difference between signing your name and putting a dot over an I versus a heart. (laughs) I wouldn't necessarily use an eight-year-old girl's method of signing their name, but yes. (laughs) But along those lines. Yeah. Um, Okay. I didn't intend to talk about handkerchiefs today, but uh, let's do it for a minute. Because recently, and by that I mean within the past year, there have been a couple times where I have been, let's say, sniffling or sneezing, and people... One of them being Larry Miller, the other one being my boyfriend, have handed me a fabric handkerchief. Uh-huh. And I have not been able to bring myself to actually blow my nose into it or wipe my nose. To or any, despoil or, it? Yeah. I'm not putting my snot in your fabric. <laughs> <laughs> I hope where, the, where are get, you on this? They're handing you clean handkerchiefs, Oh, yeah. Right? They, well, they These are. are not, but I'm just I, – I'm just – You're concerned that they're in rotation? No, is it's your not even concern, no, my concern is what that, they have left on it. No, or is your now concern that you what up, you are going to leave on? Yeah, it? it's it's the latter. It's that I I can't. Uh, I'm just used to using paper to, to disposable mm-hmm. things. So if, the idea of using cloth is very. Uh, it's unsettling. If I have a cold, or if I'm going somewhere where people will be crying, like a wedding or a funeral. Mm. Um, I try and keep a... <laughs> or Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, by yeah, the way. Exactly. Tearjerker. Um, I, I actually keep a handkerchief in my DVD copy of Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. <laughs> Smart. I, I, will have a, I, I will usually have a handkerchief in my breast pocket, um, but that's, again, f- sort of for show. That's an mm-hmm. aesthetic thing. And then I'll have one in, in the hip pocket of my jacket uh, that is to be used. And you know if if a uh, you know if if a pretty lady is sitting next to me and she's crying, you know I hand it I offer it to them. Um, and how's your wife feel about that? My wife is usually the pretty lady. Okay, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, I, I it's nice it's nice. And when I have a cold, I hadn't done this for a long time, but I inherited a bunch of pretty plain handkerchiefs from a granduncle, mm. and um, you know just a bunch of sort of packets of handkerchiefs. 
and it's actually really nice. It's not it's not weird. It's a lot less weird and gross than uh, like stuffing tissues in your pocket. It's yes. a little less weird and it's a little le- more weird and gross than having tissues at hand at all times and throwing them away. But when you're out and about, you can't always make that happen. It's a little easier for a lady because you have a purse. True. But um, it's nice. It's a nice thing to blow your nose into. It feels better. It's softer. And then you just throw it in the wash on hot, you know? All right. It comes maybe, out maybe clean. Next, next time this happens, I'm just going just, to just let it go. Larry Miller sounds like a classy guy. I like he this Larry is. Miller. I mean, yeah. your boyfriend sounds like a classy guy, too. Right. Don't he's get younger. me wrong. Mm-hmm. But he's your boyfriend, so it's right. sort of his job to offer you things. Yeah. Yeah, no, Larry Miller was like, I feel like a woman could be sniffling in another room <laughs> and he'd be gallant enough to march in and offer the handkerchief that is maybe dirty. But I mean, I didn't think right. it was. Um, it yeah. isn't. L- it, Larry no, it Miller's wasn't. not offering people dirty. No, that's... Come on, let's I not. I we shouldn't. I don't mean to. I don't mean to. You really should. No. Larry Miller. I mean, the man wouldn't is it? Wouldn't. He wouldn't. I know. But speaking of, that is something actually that uh, I've always been impressed by. And I did bring it up on both versions of our podcast, that I, of your podcast. But I want to bring it up again. You and Jordan are so in sync that you never <laughs> you never speak over each other. Um, we have our menstrual cycles at the same time. Right. How do you do that? Because as I said then, and I'll say it again, uh, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, although it's actually just disrespectful to myself, sometimes things that I'm on that involve a lot of people, there's a touch of cluster fuckiness to it, <laughs> especially when a lot of people have something important to say. Well, Jordan and I have been doing some version of what we're doing now on Jordan Jesse Go for 11 years. Um, Was there a time where you interrupted each other, though? Gosh, I wonder. I mean, here's the thing. There's there's two things going on. One is that we really know each other. One one is that we actually do interrupt each other sometimes. Um, One is that we really know each other. And we're just comfortable with each other's rhythms mm-hmm. because we've been talking regularly in real life and on microphone for 11 years. You know, we did sketch comedy together. We did improv together. Um, but the uh, the other thing I think is that unlike a lot of clusterfucks, especially on podcasts, um, on Jordan Jesse Go, you know, I'm the host. And I'm not the host as in being the star of the show. Um, I think many people would tell you Jordan's funnier than I am, and he's a brilliantly talented guy. I'm lucky to work with him. And he is every bit as full a participant in the show as I am. Um, You know, he brings as much to the table as I do. However, you know, when it comes to saying something when everything has become quiet or asking someone a question or directing the conversation— I'm responsible for that. And that's just sort of how it's always been. Again, because I'm just the kind of guy that is responsible for things. <laughs> bossy? I was also – no, no, not bossy. Just at the end of the day, I'm the guy that's willing to like call and book a gig. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or that's what it was like when we were doing Sketch, you know? Right. Um, I put together the application packets for things. What do you think that is? Do you, it, do you want it more? Mm, I know that I am capable of it and I'm willing to do it in order to get to be a part of it. I actually had a conversation with David Wayne about this. I love the him. The director from a member of the state. And he was telling me that he was this guy in the state. 
he was always this guy on the state. And that's, that's how— That's so funny because I just had Kevin Allison on this podcast, and he was saying that David Wayne was that guy yeah. in the state. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, and David, you know, uh, he was the guy that always did that. He was the guy that made it a group, which in the state was, I'm sure, super hard because it's 11, 11 people. Yeah. And um, it was because of that that he became the second unit director when they were um, when they got a television show, and that's how he became a film director. And um, you know, I think in, in part that's sort of why how I ended up becoming a podcaster and you know internet media entrepreneur or whatever, because I knew that there was this thing I wanted to do, and I was just willing to do the crap that went along with it to. Um, to get to the place where it was getting done. And, you know, with Jordan, one of the reasons that Jordan and I have worked together for so long is that Jordan is the kind of guy who really cares about the work that he does and shows up every time when he says he's going to show up. And to I have, mean, not today, but... Yeah, well, he's, he's, he's got paid work today. He has a real thing. But he, um, you know, in contrast to plenty of other people that we worked with over the years and, you know, including great people that we both love, um, you know, Jordan was the one who was willing to put in the work even when we weren't getting paid and it wasn't clear what we were going to get out of it, you know, and that's the kind of partner that you want to have, you know, mm-hmm. and you know, and then what we were getting out of it was, you know, we're friends and we're making something that we're proud of. How did you guys meet? I was his RA. I was the resident <laughs> advisor Oh, wow. What, man, what college did you guys go to? UC Santa Cruz. I was at my college. I was a sponsor, which was not the same as an RA. And that's that for I alcoholic college students. <laughs> yes. No. This is at Pomona College. They they have this thing they call a sponsor program, and incoming freshmen are split into groups of like, I don't know, between ten and eighteen, and it has to do with where you live. And there's a, a male and female sponsor who are sophomores who live with you, and it sort of like creates a family at the beginning and helps you with um, orientation and just adjusting. But it's a it's a lot of responsibility but no actual disciplinary authority or anything. And then uh-huh. there's also RAs on the hall, though. What, at, at Santa Cruz, what was being an RA like? It was, um, it was interesting. I was not I – I was an RA for two years, and I don't think I was a great RA, to be perfectly frank. Um, I was an okay RA. Um, I became an RA because – and this is something I've never admitted publicly, but basically – scoop. Not because I wanted to make people's lives better, but because – my my father is a disabled veteran, and so because I went to a state school, he's 100% disabled. Here in California, if you're the dependent of a 100% disa- service-related disabled veteran, you get free tuition. So I was getting free tuition, but I don't know if you've heard, they keep raising the fees, the student fees, mm-hmm. at the University of California because – they, there's rules about what they can do with the tuition and stuff. It's complicated. So there were all these fees and housing costs, and my parents didn't have any money at all. So um, what they were, what I was able to do was RA was like the thing that best complemented me getting free tuition because RA gave you free room and board. Mm-hmm. So because of they because they complemented each other perfectly, I was able to make it through college. <laughs> but I was um, the hall that I was the RA of. Um, when Jordan was my was my resident, was a performing arts hall. So it was full of people who wanted to work in the performing arts but were not talented enough to get into a school with a good performing arts program. <laughs> so what were they like? Dramatic? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it was, it was exactly – I mean, it was like high school theater nerds. I had gone to uh, an arts high school 
And what, 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 in high school? Uh, school of the Arts in San Francisco. It was mm-hmm. sort of like the school in fame or something. It was a public magnet school where you, you had to audition to get in and stuff. Were you born in San Francisco? Yeah. Okay. And I was not – I was never a great actor. I mostly got in because I think when there's only so many men, boys, especially straight boys that at the age of 13 are willing to audition for the <laughs> acting program in an arts high school. Yeah. Um, but you it was that what you wanted to do at that point? No, I wanted to not get my ass kicked every day at Mission High School, which was my assigned uh, local high school. So you were escaping sports yeah, I was and jocks escaping, more than well, wanting I, to be on stage. I was escaping cholos. Okay. Specifically. <laughs> specifically I was escaping cholos. I pl- I played sports until I went to arts high school, but um, I so I had been with all these people this and it was a super serious program. And so when I saw things about, like, high school theater dorks, I was always sort of confused by it because I was like, oh, that's not what high school theater dorks <laughs> are like. Like, I go to the school with the high school theater dorkiest high school theater dorks, and they're not like that. And then I got this hall, and everybody was like <laughs> Just everybody was like that. And, um, yeah, it was, it was really a trip. But I actually, you know, Jordan became one of my closest friends. He was one of my residents. And a guy that we did, uh, a guy that we did sketch comedy with for quite a long time and is still a regular guest on Jordan Jesse Go, Jim Rayal, a.k.a. on our show Jim Rayal, the master of Would You Rather, was also there. And um, it was a really great – I mean, it was funny. Like, one of the things about high school theater dorks is very dorky, right? But they really have they really have sweet, positive attitudes, especially when they're like a freshman or a sophomore in college, you know, because mm-hmm. they're like, yes, here we are, college, no more jocks, no more whatever. Because I didn't know about any of that stuff. You know, Jordan went to high school at um, uh, in Mission Viejo in, in Orange County. And I, I had forgotten that Gary and I are both from OC. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he had a real high school experience with jocks that beat up nerds and right. all of that stuff. Whereas I went to this weird arts high school where I was like, in a lot of ways, I was like the least weird guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I was unusual for not using psychedelics during class time. <laughs> You know, so um, it, it was it, it was a it was a meeting of the minds. I think. Do, do you think not having had that traditional high school experience, how did that affect you? Oh, I think it's great. I'm. I have a brother who is in high school right now, and he's actually at the high school that I went to, and um, he is a weirdo, and I love him very much. He's amazing, brilliantly talented, like brilliant kid, great kid. Um, but he's also a genuine weirdo. And I think he would tell you the same. And he's he's in this art school where it, it, being weird is expected and celebrated. It, you know, if there's something special or amazing about you, like people think it's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that it's so, was it's so great at that age. Yeah. And it, it's terrifying, you know, it, uh, to be in another situation. I mean, I know that. If I, frankly, if in the neighborhood that I lived in, if I had not gotten into School of the Arts, um, I probably would have just taken my high school equivalency exam and just goofed around for four years. Um, the California high school proficiency exam, by the way, is just super easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, are you literate? Yes. Check yes or no. And if you choose yes, then you graduate. And you would have done that because high what school was would I have been so what, was, what would I have gotten out of regular high school? I mean – it was I still don't know what I got out of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I talk to people, especially like creative people, um people that were geeks in high school, um you know, they always tell me these nightmarish horror stories. And you know, it's not like my high school experience was totally perfect or something, but I never had to, you know, I got I used to, I would get 
I would occasionally, because of the neighborhood I lived in, I'd occasionally, you know, get jumped or something on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, but in high school, it was, that was a totally non-issue. Like everybody was great. There were people were dancing, and the like bands were playing in the hallway, and you know, <laughs> just stuff like that. And and every it wasn't even like everyone wanted to be a professional artist. I mean, I think you know I was not unusual in that I didn't want to grow up to be an actor, mm-hmm. but everybody wanted to be in a place that was like that. Mm-hmm. Everyone had chosen that I want to be in the school with the kids that want to do something with their lives and make something cool and, you know, be interesting and so on and so forth. What was your family like? My parents divorced when I was three and um, I split my time through my childhood with them. And um, Both in San Francisco? Both in San Francisco, yeah. Both actually in the same neighborhood in the, in the mission in San Francisco. And um, they – my dad remarried when I was about – Eight. So I have two younger half brothers, and um, both my parents are really—they uh, could not have hated each other more. <laughs> <laughs> um, just really, really, really—I cannot to this day. I can't imagine that they were ever married to each other. It just boggles my mind. Um, Is it like a burning hot, active hatred or a cold war? Well, today they—I they, don't think they spend a lot of energy hating each other, but. Until I was about 20, 18 maybe, um, it was a burning hot active hatred. Mm-hmm. They were in court, but fighting each other in court most of my childhood. and Over um, custody? Yeah, over custody and related child support and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And um, and then at some point, I think they just figured out, like, what's the point of this? Like, this has been a perfectly good parent to my child that I love. Um, so, yeah, so they they were, like, at each other's throats my whole childhood, but... On the other hand, um, you know, despite some difficult economic circumstances and stuff like that, um, they both I, – I also never – I never felt like they didn't – they weren't, you know, that I wasn't a super high priority in their lives and they didn't love me or that mm-hmm. kind of thing, um, which I think is a real, you know – I don't know. Like I would probably choose my childhood growing up with these two separate parents that loved each other over a lot of people's childhood that I hear about with parents that hated each other and were together. <laughs> right, right. And your dad's a disabled vet. How how was he disabled? He's he has post traumatic stress disorder. So he mm-hmm. was he was in the service real early in the Vietnam War in the early '60s, and uh, he was in the Navy. And he was uh, part of the Veterans Peace Movement for uh, most of his adult life. So until the late mid to late '80s, um, and my mom, um, my mom had worked my mom worked in retail um until i was 8 or 9 something like that went to went to graduate school got a master's degree in latin american studies and became after a couple of years after that a junior college professor in the bay area in what it's, it's in in humanities and in mm-hmm. inter, interdisciplinary studies um, culture studies, stuff like that. She teaches a couple classes about hip hop, for example. <laughs> Growing up with a dad with PTSD, did you did you see it uh, come out? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And in fact, my my stepmother, um, you know, hasn't had a diagnosis, but um, uh, my stepmother is from Belfast, um, and she's a little younger than my dad, and basically grew up at the very height of the troubles in Northern Ireland, and so is. <laughs> reasonably well traumatized herself by war. Right. Um, and I think they sort of bonded over that. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you see it all the time. I mean, I, I still see it now. But what does it look like? I mean, it's different. It's different things. I mean, you know, he he didn't he hadn't slept through the night um, it, from when he was in the service until I was about thirteen or fourteen. I remember this because it was news in our family. Um, and he, you know, he, he, he tends to focus, hyper focus on things and, uh, to the point where he is like completely oblivious of the outside world. So like, Mm -hmm. I know this is like a joke from a newspaper panel strip or something, but when my dad would like read the newspapers sitting in a chair in our living room, you could put your head up to your mouth to his ear and say, Hey dad, I have to ask you something. And he would not. Like unless you physically – Right. And then when you did, he would startle. You know, like cars, dr- dr- trucks driving by. Like we lived behind on the street called Tiffany in San Francisco that's r- that runs up to the back entrance to a Safeway parking lot. So sometimes – it's now closed off on one side. But sometimes Safeway trucks would drive down our street and it was a, not a huge street. And, you know, it would shake. And sometimes he would like flip out, mm-hmm. like not for like not like like deer hunter, like for like half an hour and shoot everyone. Right. But like uh, the he would jump out of his chair and sometimes even like yell. Um, and you know I and Cause, but did it appear that he was scared? I'm just wondering. Yeah, the, I mean, what it's it looks a, like. the, I think for a lot of people, uh, for a lot of people with trauma, there's uh, they're hyper vigilant mm-hmm. and they. And that leads to a really powerful startle response when mm-hmm. they're startled. Yeah. And, um, you know, his and his hypervigilance manifested itself in other ways in my life. I mean, he had, you know, it's like he's like, you know, there's this sort of like um, paranoid 60s guy thing, right? Mm-hmm. And my dad actually has pretty had pretty good reason to be paranoid because when he was in the movement, when he was in the peace movement, at one point there were – the number two domestic threat to national security after the Black Panthers. Wow. This group of because it was a bunch of crazy vets, you know, doing mm-hmm. peace actions, and um, you know, and stuff like stuff used to happen. Like FBI agents would interrupt his phone calls and then apologize. And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, but he's very um, he's hyper aware of outside threats, and um, you know when when. I when I used to argue with him, he just sort of he would go f- just full, fully myopically um, focused on a, his argument and mm-hmm. would just lose everything else. And then you know, but the the thing about my dad though that um, I really admire um, is that he is also, I mean, in part he's he's dedicated his life to. Um, you know that he participated in this is the carrier that he was on he was on an aircraft carrier and the carrier that he was on um bombed participated in the secret war in Cambodia Cambodia and Laos which even now they're still they're still making things public about the various <laughs> killing the, the killing that we were doing in Southeast Asia mm-hmm. outside of Vietnam during the Vietnam war and um he you know he had to he was a bomb loader which is a most dangerous job on a carrier and he also ran the um projection room and so the good things and bad things came out like good things he saw the movie a thousand clowns which is one of the greatest movies ever like a hundred times in a row but the bad thing was they showed the movies from the planes Mm -hmm. so he would literally load bombs and then watch a movie of it destroying a village (laughs) 
And but the thing about him that is really amazing is that he has really dedicated his life to um, not in a guilty way trying to make up for that, but trying to make the world a better place and trying to make himself a better person. And, you know, he's very, you know, he's very deeply scarred by this experience. But, um, you know, when we would have a crazy fight that I would be, you know, in tears, you know, when I was 15 or whatever, and um, and it was over some irrational shit, you know, a lot of times afterwards, like the next day, he would go to me and say, like, you know what? I was wrong about that. I apologize, which is, a, I mean, you imagine a dad saying that to a 15-year-old yeah, son. It's like a, sort of a big deal, you know? And he's his whole life he's been – and he's he's better now than he ever was before, you know? And it's not just because of the passage of time. It's because he's put in hard work. Mm-hmm. He When I mentioned he was in the Vets Peace Movement until the mid-'80s, um, he worked on a variety of things for a little while. And he founded this organization called the Jai Foundation um, that started with just him traveling to Laos and bringing a, a container of medical supplies. But ended up becoming an international effort. He recently retired from it, but it's continuing uh, to do what's called reconciliation-based development, which is to say it's essentially development that is driven by the communities that it serves in the in the third world with poor people around the world at this point. And that's such a rare thing um, in the development world where the MO is usually just, you know, you just drop a bunch of free something Mm-hmm. You know, you just say, oh, these people need shoes. Here's 10,000 pairs of shoes and you leave. Or you say these people need a hospital and you build a hospital and then you leave. Right. Um, you know, to act, it, never, it, it never occurred to so many of these people. I worked for him for a little while. And you talk to these development people to like ask, you know, hey, what, how, what would enable you to make your life better? Make up more what you want, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you know, that changed his life. That was actually when he first started being able to sleep through the night. I mean, he still doesn't sleep through the night sometimes, but, um, you know, that he was involved in this effort at reconciliation and he, he traveled, he met this woman who, um, was, uh, a Lao American refugee of the American bombing and her family were internally displaced in Laos. This is a really funny story, by the way. <laughs> Um, but her family were were internally displaced within Laos, so by the bombing, mm-hmm. and they worked together to found this organization. And um, it start it all started with helping the village that her family lived in, um, or still lives in, um, and uh, you know helping them with projects that essentially improve their ability to improve their own lives. Mm-hmm. Um. Changing gears slightly, yeah. how yeah. did you get involved in um, broadcasting and in everything that you do? I was in college. I mean, I had done theater and stuff like that, and um, I was in college, and I was in college right before it became possible for college students that weren't rich to make their own videos. <laughs> <laughs> so when I went, to, I remember listening to the campus radio station and the campus radio station at UC Santa Cruz is, um, is a pretty powerful station for a college radio station. It covers the whole Monterey Bay area, which is a couple million people. And I remember listening to it and thinking like, I wonder how they make that. Mm-hmm. You know, I went and took the radio station tour and I saw it's like this ramshackle building. And I was like, wait, so all it is is you push the thing up to make it louder and down to make it quieter? <laughs> I was like, I could do that. So then I just did, um, basically. And, you know, the 
I've done some TV and stuff, and I do we do video and put this on, and um, but really it just came out of the fact that radio was a way to um, broadcast that I could manage, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't even. And the other nice thing about it is, even with podcasting today, you know, um, we I have editors and blah 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 blah, but. Any of the things that are going on, like I could just do them if I needed to because they're not that complicated. But did you know that you have something to say or that you want to be interviewing people or I mean what drove you to to want to put yourself on air? I mean presumably vanity, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course. But I think that the ultimate vanity would probably be to want to have, which is what I want to do, your own talk show on TV one day. Right. So, well, I mean, I've had my own talk show on TV. Oh, that, wait, what? What was your show? I had a show. I had did a pilot for Current that was based on the Sound of Young America, the okay. former name of Bullseye. Um, that was that. Um, and uh, I actually just watched that the other day because someone on Split Sider, the comedy blog mm-hmm. Split Sider, posted it. Um, and I had not seen it in the four years. It was it was all right. I was kind of fat, still am. Um, uh, you're not fat. But um, there was also I did a sh- I hosted a show for IFC for a little bit. I mean the the thing about TV is, as you know, I mean it's just super complicated, mm-hmm. and you have to get a lot of people to say yes. I'll give you some money for that um, in order to make it happen. You know, like with that current thing. The current thing was as simple as a television show could be. It was literally they were like, well, what if we just filmed you doing your radio show, you know, and then edited it? And they did a nice job of all that stuff. But even in that case where I'm sure they spent $10,000 or something making this show, um, it was, you know, by the time it was finished, like a different guy was in charge of current Mm -hmm. and they had decided to make an entirely different kind of programming. So they're like, well, you know, there goes I, that. I feel like that happens all over the yeah. place in TV. And yeah. then no one except the person whose project is suddenly dead seems to care yeah. about how many things are changing or people are losing their jobs or the turnover and all of that. It's so just nuts. For me, it's about, you know, doing stuff in a medium that makes sense for it. You know, like with Put This On, my menswear blog, you know, that's a blog and a video series because an audio series about fashion would be a disaster. It's too visual, <laughs> right. right? And, you know, with Jordan Jesse Go, you know, I could do a television project with Jordan, but it wouldn't be Jordan Jesse Go. Mm-hmm. You know, Jordan Jesse Go is completely dependent upon people having the sort of natural, intimate relationship that you have with someone when you hear them in your ears. Right. Um, and you know, I mean, it, it's like why did why did Mark Marin, uh, who's a friend of mine, why did he when he got WTF the television show? Why isn't it interviews with comedians like right. WTF the podcast? Right, is? as opposed to a scripted series. Yeah, right. It's because. Interviews with comedians is a really great form for getting piped directly into your ears. Mm-hmm. And a scripted sitcom is a really great form for TV and a really lousy for getting piped right into your ears. You right. know? So I've – I mean, you know, I like – I've liked doing the video things that I've done and, you know, Put This On is actually kind of an ambitious production um, in a lot of ways, um, especially in that it's kind of – not any of the things that make people like television shows. <laughs> it doesn't have any. We had some TV meetings about it, and people wanted us to do like a makeover show, mm. and we were like, we don't really want to do a makeover show. And they were like, what do you mean? We're offering you a TV show. <laughs> we're like, no, it's okay. We have some jobs. Like, we don't need to do yeah. a makeover show. It's okay. Um, and- See, that's what I'm suggesting is that your vanity is not not on the level that makes you say, I have to be on TV all the time. Well, I don't want to be – I mean, here's the thing. One of the things that stinks about being on TV is that you're famous. I have no interest in being famous. 
Um, I like being respected by people that I like and respect. Mm-hmm. So that's one part that's that's sort of corollary to fame that I think is cool. But that thing where um, the thing where just people who have no investment in you are subjected to you <laughs> has no appeal for me at all. I mean, before internet media existed, when I was just starting college, I remember having the thought that I would like to maybe be as famous as Bob Odenkirk and David Cross. <laughs> And this was before David Cross was on Arrested Development mm-hmm. and became a you know a well-known stand-up comedian. They had only done Mr. Show. And right. I was like, well, Mr. Show— Real cult following. Yeah. I was like, Mr. Show was a, a, a huge artistic success. It was a s- sort of failure uh, uh, commercially, but it was successful enough to keep going for a while. Mm-hmm. And the people that—not very many people saw it, but the people that saw it were the people that liked it. And I— that has a lot of appeal to me because I don't want to be, you know, I don't, I think there's this thing where if you're trying to be famous, you have to be one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to, I mean, it's something like why is Snooki good at being famous? You know, she <laughs> why is, is good she? At, <laughs> she is good at being famous. She's not really talented, yeah. but she is good at representing one specific thing to people to the point where I know exactly what her deal is, despite the fact that I've never watched an episode of Jersey Shore, you know? Mm-hmm. Why is, and it doesn't just mean, it's not just for people that are, you know, untalented. You know, I mean, Tim Gunn is the same way. He seems very talented to me. He seems very good at what he does. But he represents a very one specific very singular thing. point of view, I suppose. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, it, it's hard to get anything more complicated than that into a broad public because one thing alienates another. Mm-hmm. It's like it's people, I even doing Jordan Jesse Go, people are like, People think maybe that I'm insincere or something because I like wearing neckties and I also like rap music, Mm. you know, and I'm also like and I'm a white guy who's comfortable with being a white guy. But I'm also, you know, I also grew up in a tough neighborhood, but I also went to private school and, you know, I was like the scholarship kid in private school and elementary school. And then in high school, I went to this weird. So like all of those different things. Do they think that some of those are BS? Yeah, or that I'm trying to, I don't know, people, get, it upsets people. Mm-hmm. What, it, what, each of the things uh, bothers the other people, you know, some, sometimes the people, on, even on Bullseye, you know, the, sometimes the people think like, well, why is he trying to make a joke when this is supposed to be a serious interview show mm-hmm. with artists and whatever, you know, and that increases exponentially the broader you make your audience yeah. as opposed to the deeper that you make your audience. Mm-hmm. So. I've mostly focused my efforts just because of that on deepening my relationship with the audience that I have rather than trying to be something to everyone because I don't know. I don't even know what I would be to everyone, you know, like I would be like, uh, you know, if I if I if we had taken that TV pilot to make uh, put this on TV show that would have been basically a knockoff of uh, Queer Eye, Mm -hmm. um, they you know, then I would just be the guy that tells you you're not dressed well. I don't want to be that guy to like millions of people. You know what I mean? Like, what a bummer. Right. You know, even if it pays well, I get paid for, I get paid pretty, I make pretty good money now. So it's not, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, I grew up with parents that work, you know, I grew up paying for my medical care with stickers Mm -hmm. from the state of California. So I'm not like scared of being broke. Um, I'd, as long as I have a job and making money, so I don't really need to be super rich or something. 
Mm-hmm. It's hard to it's hard to be super famous and still, you know, people who can do that are amazing to me. I mean, somebody like and still what be yourself, st- still be yourself, still do the thing that you want to do and like doing. I mean, there's people who do it. You know, um, uh, Zach Galifianakis maybe comes to mind. You know, like Zach Galifianakis is like a super nice guy. Um, or at least he has been when I've met, I've only met him a couple times in my life, but mm-hmm. super nice guy, brilliant genius, um, who does something really unusual, sort of unexpectedly became famous in the, I don't think he expected the hangover to be the biggest movie of the decade, you know, the biggest comedy film of the decade. And it would make him a movie star. And he's sort of tried to take what he can get from that and try and be, stay true to himself. But that's a tough thing to pull. You know, that very rarely happens, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, more likely it's going to make you miserable i'm trying to think if there are any women that that we could put in that category and i'm thinking like my go-to reference for this right now is sort of lena dunham Mm -hmm. or maybe right now mindy kaling and then but it's like what what is it that's making me mention them and specifically what it is is they are women in the public eye who don't look like models uh-huh. And I hate that it's that simple. But but that seems so revolutionary, honestly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean and, and I don't mean to reduce what them to just how they look because obviously that, what, at the end what of the they're day, saying that is, is more complex. No, yeah. at the end of the day they're just what they look like, right? Am well, I misunderstanding all, your aren't point? We all? I mean you do a menswear blog <laughs> and a web series. Pocket Square is just decoration. Hey look, if I if I was not a happily married man and I met and I met Lena Dunham or Mindy Kaling at a mm-hmm. party, it's likely I would have romantic interest in them. Because they're famous? No, because they're awesome. Yeah, and I cute, know. too. They're both cute, too. Yeah, it's true. Neither one of them is homely. It's true. But but that is true. And I bet in real life they're both super dynamic and charismatic. But on television, they do look different than what you normally see. You know what? I've been watching uh, – sometimes I've been watching a lot of this show, uh, uh, The Thick of It, my favorite show. It's a totally amazing show, British TV show. And um, it's really funny. You watch British television comedy and you're like, oh, this looks like the cast of a sketch comedy show that you would see at a theater where there are sketch comedy shows mm-hmm. in that all of these people look like human beings. <laughs> And then you watch TV, and especially for women, I mean, it's double for women, right. I would say. Everyone is in, in American television has their teeth fixed and mm. their, you know, all of that stuff. And God, that's, an, you know, that's another reason why I haven't worked really hard on TV. It's because when I think of people that I know who are really good at TV, and I have friends that I really admire who are really good at TV, um, Chris Hardwick, Dave Holmes, um, people who I think are awesome and are really good at TV. And there's just all this other shit you have to do. I know. <laughs> it's like I got crooked teeth because my parents couldn't afford braces, you know? We, well, it's your time because have you seen Ben and Kate? Gary, have you seen Ben and Kate? Do you know? It's Does the, it's a dude a have new... crooked teeth? Oh, my God. He, very crooked. And she has very crooked teeth as well. Not as crooked as his, though. And I almost wanted to tweet something like – well, I forget what the tweet would have been because I couldn't get it in tweet form. But I was thinking – how much of my thinking that this is so original and different and unlike anything else you see on TV has just to do with their teeth? Well, I had it's, a, it's a very it may, it's a very likable comedy. I, I talked to Paul F. Tompkins on my show. Speaking of Paul F. Tompkins, a couple of years ago, and he had just done a show 
Paul F. Tompkins has a sort of David Letterman-like charming gap between his front mm-hmm. teeth. Is, and I will say, I think it is a significant part of the aesthetic of yeah. Paul F. Tompkins. It makes him look lusty. That's what that's supposed to signify, yeah, at least I, in Chaucer times. Uh, ch- yes. <laughs> I'm glad you have a Chaucerian interpretation yeah, of this. Yeah, it's a timely reference. <laughs> um, it, it makes him look like he eats a lot of bread that is the consistency of a rock, okay. as in Chaucer times. Yes, exactly. Um, he, and he had just done a TV show, I think it was a sitcom, where he had to wear what's called a flipper. And oh, yeah. I've heard of that. A flipper is a thing. It's like a prosthesis that goes between your two front teeth that turns a gap into your front teeth into a weird regular thing. Mm-hmm. You Just get like one giant made. monotooth? Yes. I don't know what it turns it into. Yeah, That's it turns it into like a I weird... I feel like on toddlers and tiaras, some of the kids wear flippers. Yeah, like a weird sort of uh, rodent-y fang. <laughs> Like a rodent Sounds that attractive. didn't get enough things yeah. to chew on. <laughs> no, it tr- makes your front teeth regular. And he and I had a big conversation about that. Like, what a strange thing, especially when I think of someone like him or, um, you know, David Letterman Mm -hmm. is famous for the gap between his front teeth. You know what I mean? It's part of his charm. But in a world where everyone has perfect teeth, then it is not – unless you are real charming like David Letterman or Paul F. Tompkins, Mm -hmm. it's a weird defect. Right. Whereas uh, in another context, like in my day-to-day life, I don't feel uncomfortable for having crooked teeth. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I'm fine with that. Well, uh, this is going to sound like a really stupid question, but who makes these rules? Because it seems like that's... Our boners make these rules. I mean, I guess. Mine does. (laughs) It seems like that is the... you know, the prevailing wisdom is that you have to be all these things. And then all of a sudden someone gets on the screen somehow who is different and everyone, you know, loves that. Yeah. Well, I think in most cases that somehow is that they're a total genius. Yeah. But or that they are total genius and they've gotten pretty close to being hot. Like take Tina Fey, for example, like Tina Fey is pretty hot. I know that she's very keen on talking about how she's not that hot, but she's pretty foxy lady. Mm -hmm. And she became famous behind the camera because she's one of the most brilliant comedy writers in America. And then in order to get in front of the camera, she lost 25 pounds, got her teeth fixed, blah, 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 blah. Right. She became the prettiest Tina Fey that there is, mm-hmm. which, again, she worked well. Right. She's a super foxy lady. But, um, you know, she she and then she goes on TV and because she used to be a little dumpy or something, she can she can represent those things to America. So like she's as close as we get to an actual normal person. <laughs> Is like a person who used to be normal and then like exercise a lot, got their teeth fixed, got a haircut, had a stylist choose their clothes, and then they're like good enough. Right. So, what made you decide to do the menswear uh, video series and website? Well, I've always loved men's clothes, and um, and I'm not like a super fashion guy. Uh, I mean, fashion is a p- portion of what I do, mm-hmm. it's, but I usually say style just because. As much as it's a sort of a douchey move to say style instead of fashion, it actually does have some meaning, you know. Um, but I, it was something I always wanted to get into. And I was also I, – I was being coming friends with this guy, Adam Lissagor, who is one of the hosts of a very brilliant comedy podcast called You Look Nice Today. And um, he directed a video for me, a pledge drive video for The Sound of Young America – and it was, like, amazing. It was, like, hilarious and looked beautiful. I was like, geez, Adam, you are crazy talented. He's like, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> and he, he had just quit his job doing, uh, doing like, motion graphics or something like that, you know, editing commercials for the company that ended up making that movie Skyline. 
you know, like terrible mm-hmm. special effects movie. So he had been working for that company for a long time and it was a good job, but he quit it to do something to make the world a better place or to make him more fulfilled. And I was like, hey, would you want to make a video thing about menswear with me? Because I, there was a big menswear community sort of growing at the time online. Mm-hmm. It was something I'd always wanted to do something with but knew wouldn't work in audio. And I don't have video production skills. So we we kickstarted something. This was when Kickstarter was literally in beta. We mm-hmm. knew a guy that was one of the founders of Kickstarter. And we raised a couple thousand dollars to make an episode. And it was the most successful thing I had ever made. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> and so... Based on hits or... Yeah, based on audience and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, this is great. We should make more of this. And along the way, the blog, which originally had been intended to sort of just keep the audience paying attention for when new episodes came out became, again, I mean, more people go to that literally still today, more people visit, put this on, uh, on, on the web than visit maximumfun.org, the home of, you know, seven hit podcasts. What do you make of that? I think it is really well, the content is really well suited to the form and there is an audience for that content. I mean, the, basically the premise of it is, you know, we are really passionate about menswear, me and the guy who writes it with me, Derek. Um, and we're also not weird dicks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're not like – As is so common in that world, would you say? Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush because there are certainly exceptions. But the choices are either – usually either like, oh, I, I can't imagine why you're not wearing a dicky bow or <laughs> or the alternative is like – Guys this season are all about wearing aqua. You know what I mean? Like this thing that's like always like there's like five articles about right. beer and then underneath yeah. there's just a thing that says, we're not gay, but you should wear skinny shorts. You know what I mean? Right. Like if Mountain Dew brought you fashion advice. Yeah, exactly. And um, and I don't, I don't really like either of those things. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted something that was something that – would be cool for people that really liked menswear and would also not be mean to people that didn't know anything about it. Because I felt like there was also a kind of generational thing happening, which was people from my generation and younger whose parents maybe were baby boomers or just post-baby boomers who grew up in a, in a world where dressing nicely, especially for men, was a symbol of being part of the establishment – um, you know, that's certainly the case for my dad. You know, my dad was a movement radical. He was yeah. literally a movement okay, radical, see, I right? I think that I have a bit of that ethos in that I um, – there, there is a well, I mean, part of me – You're from Orange County, the flip-flop capital of the world. <laughs> yeah, but a place where surface matters so much. Right. And, and I rebelled against that. Like there is a part of me that feels like fashion is, you know, literally – it's less than skin deep and – and that looks and appearance and all, and this is like just an internal struggle I have all the time that all that stuff shouldn't matter, right? And maybe that's sort of a, a cousin of what you're so talking about. So we have about. to, we have to. I think we we have to fight that a lot with men because I think men a they want it to not matter even though it does. And is that laziness though? B uh, I wouldn't call it laziness. Um, it's just a it's just other priorities. Is it and not wanting to be gay? It is partly not wanting to be gay in a lot of cases, not all cases mm-hmm. at all. Um, but part of it is about men like functionality. And so they consider aesthetics and functionality to be separate and, you know, never the twain shall meet, right. which is not the case. 
Um, and so part of what we've done on Put This On is essentially make an argument for the fact that the way you dress is an important part of your communication with the world, your social relationships to other people, that it is essentially functional. Mm-hmm. And that there is also a way to construct an aesthetic sense for yourself that is true to yourself but also respectful of other people and isn't just about um, – is neither just about a kind of like what some random woman that writes for GQ and uses the word guys a lot, <laughs> um, you know, and also like – you know, they they run every all of their copy past a guy at Jack Links or something. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's not what that person tells you to wear. And also, you know, it's something that's personal and functional, but also respectful of the people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and once people, once men especially, see that functional part of it and learn about the, you know, guys like learning about the the uh, often about the the technical parts of clothing and the construction and what's the difference and that kind of thing. Um, then they're open to the part that is like, oh, and guess what? Maybe there's a place and a role for beauty in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe something just being aesthetically beautiful it has intrinsic value because I think it does. I think having more beauty in the world is a good thing. Oh, it's interesting. I, I've, I've talked about this, I think, a long time ago um, on this show a little bit that like I have no problem with art with things that are just beautiful it's when form and function uh, come together that then like architecture except that i will readily admit that i would so much rather walk down a street that's beautiful and that has beautiful buildings than one that's just cinder blocks and yuckiness and yet i think that architects are some of the most megalomaniacal people i've ever met (laughs) I apparently I'm alone in this view. I've al- I've always really been interested in design and you know not just uh not just fashion in a fashion or clothing context. Mm-hmm. Um my friend Roman Mars who actually has worked with me on Bullseye does an amazing podcast called 99% Invisible that's about design. A totally mind-blowing podcast. And uh and I love I get excited when there's a new episode. I get excited to go to um, you know, I, I get, ex- get get excited to go to design museums when I'm in places where there are design museums. I get, you know, I like I like the idea of solving a problem in a way that is hyper functional and also beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like why does why does uh, your boss Adam Carolla love cars so much? It's not just there's because there's no people around. Well, that's yes. <laughs> That uh, granted, um, but also because it is an elegant solution to a problem of how do you get somewhere in the most in the most wonderful way possible, mm-hmm. right? And part of that is about the aesthetics of the car. Even for you know a gearhead like Corolla, it's about a, a thing that looks beautiful or looks powerful yeah. or looks a certain way. And the relationship between that and the solution to the problem is really cool to me. Mm-hmm. He's actually. Not that many people know this, but some do. He's actually very into design elsewhere. And, and I mean, not, not fashion per se, but home design. Yeah, he's and... definitely not into fashion. I've met him. <laughs> okay. But, but, but decor and home design and all that stuff, colors. Yeah, absolutely. Not? Yeah. I mean, that's because what's cool about it, I think, is. Whereas, like, I'm into words. Right. And things that are cute and just ideas. Like, I, the whole, the whole, like, Notion of how things look 
But that's the thing. I mean, the thing that's cool about design is that it's about the relationship between ideas and aesthetics. So it's about finding a solution to a problem Mm. that incorporates – that where there is this interrelationship between the solution part, the kind of engineering, problem-solving idea part and the part that is more abstract and about aesthetics so that one informs the other and vice versa and mm-hmm. the sort of it, the energy bounces back and forth until you have something that's bigger than the two parts see I, there's this weird part of me that almost punishes myself as too strong but like this is a very uh, silly example but recently i was buying a new hair dryer and i was choosing they it was offered in two colors pink or black and i th- and i was choosing between a few different hair dryers too and i was like you know, first, not at all going to consider how the hairdryer looks. Uh, but and, and then I was thinking, well, sh- which color should I get? And I was like, this is stupid. Like, it's stupid to waste my time <laughs> thinking about the color. And then I had to stop, you know, because I what should just What you're saying get- is, in Russia, a hairdryer chooses you. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> you want to live. You want to live in Soviet Russia, where there's only one one brand of each type of product, and no. it's just issued to you. Actually. I've thought about this. If there were two of everything and that I just Thank had to you, choose Gary, between those, <laughs> that would put that. my mind at ease. <laughs> well, that, that wasn't exactly the point I was making. And yet that is true for me, sort of. And I mean, not really. But like the point I was making was well, I, I thought it was I'm silly to waste time on the car. I'm but not then... certain I buy this because I'm looking at you right now. And addition, I mean, certainly part of it is that you're a naturally attractive person. Thank but you. you look you look great. Oh, you well, look thanks. like you've made choices about the way that you look. Oh, I have. I have. But you resented but it the yes, whole time? kind of. <laughs> I mean, I'm over that. I'm over that. But for a, but, but the, You but, do. You sound over that. <laughs> Sounds like you're over yeah, that. Yeah. But the hairdryer thing, let me just say. What I was trying to say, though, is that I... At first, I felt like this is a stupid waste of time, and then I thought that's silly. It's silly to feel that it's stupid because why not have something that visually appeals to me as well as works? Well, here's the thing. I mean, I think there is an element of exhaustion that comes with living in a consumer culture like the one that we live in. Mm-hmm. And you know, on put this on, I try and separate to the best of my ability. It's impossible to do fully, but to the best of my ability. Separate the consumer part of it from the content. And what I mean by that is there are so many of these blogs and things that are basically lists of products to buy. Mm-hmm. Some of the most successful in the space. So the few, there's only a few menswear blogs that are more successful than ours, um, if, if I might be permitted to brag about it. And Please. several of them are essentially just reprinting press releases mm-hmm. about a new product with a picture. And that I don't I don't I'm not into that. So like a big part of our blog is like thrift store shopping, shopping on eBay, like secondhand clothes, you know, recombining the stuff. And it's not just because it's about like thrifty whatever. It's just I don't like that there is a necessary relationship between consumption and and dressing well. Mm-hmm. Right. And because we all do so in the first world, we do so much consumption in our lives. It can be exhausting where you get to the store. You know, one of the big reasons that people like Trader Joe's, the grocery store Trader Joe's, is like Trader Joe's only has one brand of each thing. Trader Joe's brand. Right. You know, Sometimes you, it's Trader Giacomo's. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's a weird ethnic name that m- makes you wonder if it's a little racist. Yes. You're right. <laughs> You're like, is that is that a little racist? <laughs> like, that, 
like it's like Trader Chong's, and you're like, eh. <laughs> I know that if it were Trader Ching Chang Chong's, that would be right. racist. But, but if they... it's just, is that racist or? But anyway, the cool <laughs> thing about Trader Joe's is that you know you you have made one decision. That is, I'm going to go to Trader mm-hmm. Joe's, and you don't have to make any other decisions besides what kind of food you want to eat. Right. right? Um, and so I can totally understand that part of it. But on the other hand, you know, my mom has been, for most of my life, she's been at least a part-time antiques dealer. And she's always been, you know, even when we were really broke, we always had a very beautiful home. And um, and so I really like the idea of people making choices to make things that are wonderful, whether they're functional things or purely aesthetic things, you know, whether they're pure art or design. I like stuff that is beautiful, cool, has had a life, you know, tells a story. Um, and I don't think I, – I mean I think a lot of men in particular are taught to be ashamed if they feel that way. Mm-hmm. And it's not ju- – unless it's about cars basically, specifically, maybe hand tools. Tools, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I like – I'm into it with cars and hand tools too. <laughs> but, you know, I, um, I think – you know, I, I'll tell you, I just bought this painting. Um, I just bought this painting on eBay. Uh, it's like a, uh, I guess you, they call it like a naive art painting. It's like an untrained artist mm-hmm. uh, from the teens. And I'm so excited about it. And it doesn't have, it does no function other than I see it and I'm like, wow, look at this cool thing that I chose that I love. Did you just find it by scouring eBay for yeah? I, I found art? it. I found it randomly. I had had this. I have a lot of saved eBay searches because we do an eBay roundup twice a week on Put This On, uh-huh. where we recommend auctions for people to look at. And um, in there, among them, is this one for I think it's folk art model because I thought that would probably bring in some cool things, like some like models of things that people have made, like an airplane that someone mm-hmm. made. And it does. It's worked really great. Uh, I think it must have come in through that. Um, but yeah, it came in through one of my saved – I mean I literally have three or 400 saved eBay searches that I go through you know, because um, it's an important part of the blog. And I just saw it. And it's a painting of a rabbit. And I was like, man, look at that rabbit's little face. <laughs> this sounds ridiculous when I no, say it, it out loud. Cute. But um, I was like, that is a great rabbit. And it was 300 bucks. And I normally you know, wouldn't buy art on the internet in general. But, um, you know, $300 is not a small amount of money. I emailed it to my wife. I said, is it appropriate for me to buy this painting on eBay mm-hmm. for $300? And she's like, yeah, just if you, if you love it, you just buy it. And I was like, yeah, I should just buy it. Mm-hmm. So I did. Now, here's where I sound like someone who's into a fetish trying to assess whether the other one is. But is the rabbit's face cute? Yeah, it's cute. But it's not like um, – it, What style it has, are talking? I would – well, it's – it's painted in the teens, so it's not like adorable in the in like a cartoon sense. Mm-hmm. It's not like big eyes. It has a, I would I would say that it has a lot of character. It's very charming, but I do like something that's cute. If you're asking, do I like something not. that's cute? If you're saying, do I have a ritual with my wife where every, in fact, I'll be celebrating it today, where every first of the month is New Bunny Day, oh. and we. <laughs> We, I just got so excited. We turned uh. we turned the page on a bunny calendar. Actually, at this point, uh, at this point, it's we have a running bit on Jordan Jesse Go where I talk about New Bunny Day and Jordan complains over me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, actually, this year, 
um, we switched from New Bunny Day to New Friends Day, and we have a calendar of unlikely animal friends. No. And uh, so today I will learn what the new animal friend yeah. is. But do you have a bunny thing? I used to have bunnies as a kid. I have two dogs now that I mm-hmm. that are adorable. I love them very much. But bunny is to me. But I probably think bunny is the cutest animal. I've really come to love dogs since I've had dogs. Yeah. But I had two bunnies as a kid, and and I they were called Harold and Miss Bunny, <laughs> and I I loved them to death. They were wonderful. And a bunny is a one cute thing about a bunny. If you have it as a pet, is um, a bunny, like when you hold it, it's sort of at the same time, it's like terrified that you're holding it, but also comforted by the mm-hmm. fact that you're holding it because bunnies are so stupid. They're like significantly <laughs> stupider yeah. than, and so, and so you, as you pet it, it sort of, it sort of trembles and relaxes and it's like the most comforting thing in the world, you know, mm-hmm. really See, sweet animal. I find I had, um, I did have a couple of rabbits actually, but I had ducklings when I was little, uh-huh. or ducks ultimately. But um, when you hold them, is that what ducklings? That is, into? yeah, it is. I know okay. that you, you might have been confused by that, but that is it. It's uh, it's simpler than you think. I um, had always assumed that ducklings turn into gerbils. <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, but they kind of like like settle into your the palm of your hand. Anyway, I could go on, but I'm not going to. I'm going to ask you. You uh, and then they and then they poop right in the center. They sometimes they do. I even miss the smell of duck poop. <laughs> Special kind of like, like the smell of duck poop and duck food. You should get some ducks. Do you I live know. in an apartment? You probably got a house. No, doing, you're doing well, actually, Allison Rosen. No, no, I just moved. You probably got and I'm in two a, houses. You got a vacation house with a caretaker. I mean, I suppose in the West Wing we could have podcasting duck Podcasting has but... treated you kindly. Just admit it. <laughs> the lucrative field of podcasting. Oh my God! You know, yeah, it's like it's like a it's like a gold rush around here. Anyway, just convert the tower to a t- duck play area. I have been wanting to bring ducklings into my life, into my live shows, actually. Really? Yeah. Into your live shows? See, that sounds fun. I'll tell you what. Okay. I recently went to – there's no reason for concern. I recently went to the Public Radio Program Directors Conference, which is the worst thing ever. It sounds like not a lot of sex happens there. Well, maybe there's some sex, but it's not sex I would want to participate in. And um, I was there, and everything about it is just designed to make me feel horrible about myself and my place in the world. Mm. But there's this one public radio show called Bird Note. (laughs) And at the Public Radio Uh. Program Directors Conference, they have owls and hawks, or an owl and a hawk, like a giant owl and a giant hawk, in the conference. Where do they get them? At their table. So that's the thing. They get them from like a local bird conservatory. I asked the lady because this was the second year they had had them. And I went and asked her. I was like, are these local or did you fly them in there? She's like, <laughs> they're local. Like um, I'm with a raptor conservator- conservatory or something oh like that. Oh, my God. And it was the coolest fucking thing ever. See, I'm convinced there's got to be a way I can just rent some ducklings or whatever is involved. And I will mention the name of the duckling organization that has loaned us the ducks. You know what, Allison? If I can go to the fucking mall in Glendale and my son gets to play with ducklings, which Wait, he really? can. Yes. The, there's the a, Americana Mall? Yeah. It has a weird, sad, but also <laughs> awesome because all petting zoos are awesome petting zoo. I did not know this. Yes. I've only been to that mall once. Summer weekends. You got to go take care of business. Pay, pay, pay your money. Be the lady that doesn't have a child in there. 
Okay. Uh, <laughs> Done. Yeah. But wait, is it over now? Because uh, it feels like summer, but I don't think it is summer yeah, anymore. Yeah, it might not be summer anymore. Oh, but look God. it up. I will. I know. See, you're the way that you're that guy who will do everything and to make something happen. What's Gary's problem? How come Gary hasn't found you some ducklings? Evidently, he's not paid enough for ducklings. <laughs> Gary's just sitting there. Oh, he does a lot more than just sit there. No, he's just sitting. I can see him. He's just sitting there. He's He could be, right now, he could be on his iPad typing in duckling rental in Los Angeles. That search, unfortunately, won't bring you anything good. I've done really? it. <laughs> Gary, what do you have to say for yourself? Just some weird pornography. I'm on it. <laughs> See? I can inspire. I'm a born leader. It's true. Thank you. So um, you you uh, brag about being sort of an aficionado of dick jokes. That's true. But what I want to know is why. Wh- what's your thoughts on dick jokes versus fart jokes? Because I love a fart joke and huh. I love farts. I, lo- I like burps, but oh, yeah. I don't like farts. Why? Because they're too stinky. Okay. That's the part that I don't <laughs> – where we're at yeah. okay let's get into this okay so sometimes a burp could be a little stinky but a burp's primary thing is in its stinkiness and the I mean, problem with not. the fart is that like no matter what you do you still have to smell it of course you have to you have to smell it if you dealt it right but and i don't want to smell a fart because smart farts really do smell gross okay and right. so then i can't enjoy the laughter because i'm having to deal with the fart Interesting. Okay. Whereas a dick is not gross to me. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a, romantically interested in it. It's mm-hmm. not a beautiful organ, but um, it's it's not disgusting to me. Right. But I. But but. But like a fart joke or a dick joke. Yeah, but the thing is, I'm not into. I think that I'm not that into uh, humor about stuff that's gross. Okay. And it's just there that dick jokes, sex jokes. Uh, none of those things are actually gross to me. And it's not like I'm so overwhelmingly grossed out that I could never enjoy a fart joke. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't get a big kick out of it. You know, like when I go see There's Something About Mary, mm-hmm. you know, like the parts that I like are are rarely the grossest parts. Right. You know, then I'm just like, ah, I get it. It's super gross. You know, whatever. Yeah. All right. That, that makes sense. <laughs> um, how did you meet your wife? We went to high school together. Have you been together since then? Yeah, we tried to break up in college. She went to Sarah Lawrence, which is in New York State, and um, uh, I went to UC Santa Cruz. So we sort of tried to break up for the first couple months of college, and then it just didn't take. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, besides that, we've been together ever since. I mean, there have been tough – I mean, she went – she did a semester abroad in Cuba – and in Cuba, like, she got to use a phone, like, twice in four months. That sounds kind of awful. You have to, like, go someplace and wait in line for a few hours to get, like, 10 minutes on a phone that can make an international call. And um, she had to download her emails onto a floppy disk, take them back wow. to the house she was living in, reply to them all on her home computer, then bring them back to the internet <laughs> on a floppy disk and send them. Um, so we didn't get to talk very much then, but we've been, we've lived together since, um, uh, maybe six, six months or a year after we graduated from college and we've been married for approximately four years, something like that. I think four, maybe three, four. So have you, have you guys basically not ever really dated other people? I mean, I dated other people in high school. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, she basically literally hasn't dated other people. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> I'd really hate for her to get a sense of what's out there mm-hmm. because I might suffer in comparison. I mean, I did, I did it in high school. I mean, one, one thing about one, – one other thing that I would say is recommendable about attending an arts high school is if you're a straight guy – and I don't read necessarily as straight. I do more than I ever did in, in my life, probably. But certainly when I was in high school, I didn't read as straight. Mm-hmm. And um, But once the girls figured out that I was straight, I did have a brief period of being a hot commodity, which was tremendous. I recommend it. <laughs> I really recommend it. If you're a straight guy, go to an arts high school because you're a, like a stud muffin just by virtue of wanting lady parts and not boy parts for your enjoyment. Um, now – Unrelated, moving on. I get, when I'm interviewed, I get asked all sorts of like heady questions about podcasting and the direction of podcasting and the meaning of it all. And I imagine you must get that a bazillion times more than I do. A lot of people ask me also if um, Adam Carolla thinks I'm funny because I'm a woman. Well, another thing we have in common. Yeah. How do you answer it? Well, I explain, I explain that I'm not a woman. That really helps. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think if I want – okay. One that I get that I don't know how to answer is do you think the comedy podcast uh, genre is becoming too littered with podcasts? And I usually say I don't know that – I don't know that that's a problem. Yeah. I mean it depends on from whose perspective you're talking. Right. Um, I think that when, you know, three years ago, I was more happy about someone like Adam getting involved in podcasting. So I've been podcasting since podcasting existed practically. And what year? <laughs> that's a good thing to brag about. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, re- I'm super good at ham radio. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was on bulletin boards. Yeah, I started. I wasn't. I, I, sta- I was. I started. What was your nickname? Um, Young American. Oh. For the sound of Young America. Um, I started podcasting at the end of 2004, and I think podcasting got invented in early 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the first rush of people was great because it's, you know, one of the big problems with podcasting even still is that people don't get it. And, you know, if someone loves Adam or they love Oprah or they love whoever the star, the few stars are that have gotten involved in podcasting, um, then that might be the thing that brings them into podcasting. Mm-hmm. And certainly, you know, we have audience that um, will tell us, you know, I didn't know what podcasting was. I thought it was a weird, nerd, complicated nerd thing until Adam got involved in podcasting and, and I was a big fan of his radio show. So I decided to give it a try. I realized it's not that hard, blah, 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 blah. So I think that is great. At this point, there are so many comedians specifically doing podcasts that I think it's becoming difficult to make a living from it unless you are a comedian <laughs> um, in the comedy world. So, you know, if you are a stand-up, you can make money from your stand-up the way right. that you always have. And, and suddenly you'll have more, more people and you coming get to a, shows. more following through doing a free podcast that you have to spend a little money to make. Um, if you are me and you're not a stand-up, it it has gotten to the point I think where it's more challenging to find audience because, um, you know, because I mean, among other things, I think our shows benefited for many years from being well produced and you know that I and my colleagues were competent hosts who knew how to run a show, 
And, um, you know, many of the comics who are famous and talented comedians, brilliant comedians, you know, are, don't necessarily know how to do those things. But someone's going to turn to them first because they're a brand that they're familiar mm-hmm. with, you know, whoever it is. And so, you know, I mean, so that's a negative thing to some extent for someone who wants to work on podcasting. But in general, I think that the positives outweigh the negatives still. I mean, it, it's no longer an unalloyed positive. Like if you asked me three years ago or whenever it was that Adam started podcasting, is it good that Adam got into podcasting? I would say yes because, great, he convinces his many fans to give podcasting a try and then they move on to other things or Mm -hmm. add other things. Now that's less – it's tougher to make that argument. Um, That's still – we still get some benefit from that kind of thing. But mm, there's more problems where there's just a lot of options for people. But you think that's – you think that's bad for someone in your position? Yeah, somebody who's trying or, – or someone like you who is a broadcaster. You know, that's, that's, your, you know, that's your main deal. Mm-hmm. And that's relatively tough unless you have a powerful brand. Um, you know, we're lucky that we had established our brand already you know, with the people who know who we are. Um, or you know somebody like whatever Keith and the girl, or you know there were people out there, oh yeah, dude, who had been doing this and were primarily broadcasting focused, and you know they established who they were with their audience, and maybe they're having a harder time adding audience, but it's not hurting them. Mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, at the at the end of the day, you know, does Doug Benson need to make his money off his podcast? No, I'm sure he's delighted that he gets paid a lot more to do stand-up and more people come out to see him, you know? So it doesn't necessarily push the business model forward. And I don't know. But I, I don't think that's the central problem. I don't think it's as big a problem as people yeah. are worried about. Yeah. What is – is there a central problem? Yeah. I mean the central problem is uh, making a system that makes it super easy for people to listen to podcasts. That yeah. makes it as easy even, to listen as, to podcasts as, as it is to listen, listen to the radio. Sometimes. Because I listen to fewer podcasts than people might think. I find it a pain in the ass to try to figure out how I'm going to listen. I mean, I know how, but it's like it's not no. at all as easy as just – I tend to listen to just AM talk radio in my car because that's what I can listen to in my car. Yeah, you just press a button, right? And yeah. it's there. And that's – and, you know, the average person has nine radios in their household or something like that, 12 radios. I don't remember what it is. It's a lot. And um, so, you know, radio is always there to just push a button. Um, and – it's tough to make that out of podcasts and especially – it's especially tough to make that out of podcasts and have it retain one of the really cool things about podcasts, which is that they're – that the platform is open to anyone mm-hmm. you know, or anyone with a few hundred bucks to get together microphones. Um, and that's like you – know, that's what I – my whole career is dependent upon that. You know, Like the premise of my whole business life is that I was just a guy that had a job as a receptionist that bought microphones and made his show himself mm-hmm. until – you know. And that – I don't know. I don't know how that's going to shake out, you know? You uh, you help set Mark Maron up, right? You yeah. got his equipment. Do you feel you've created a monster? <laughs> um, yes. Yes and no. Um, I think uh, – I mean I'm proud to have done that because I think Mark's show is amazing. Um, I think Mark does really amazing work. And in fact, I still work with him along with my uh, editor, Nick. We're both producers on the public radio version of WTF. Um, and so in general, I think, great, I have added more to the world, more good things to the world because I think WTF is a wonderful thing. And I th- I'm really happy that Mark has found success doing it. Um, and I think it's an amazing 
it fits his talent really well in a way that the stuff he was doing for Air America didn't quite, mm-hmm. and you know. And um, so there's that. Like, I'm ha- really happy about that. And I'm glad that I get to listen to WTF and that kind of thing. I do think the one way that it has hurt me is, and it's not through any fault of Mark's own other than that he's very talented. Mark has never been anything but kind to me. Um, is we did this survey about uh, Bullseye, my main show, and a small portion of the audience said, you know, why are you interviewing comedians? So many people interview comedians. And that was amazing to me because, you know, I've been doing Bullseye in some form, you know, formerly as The Sound of Young America since I was a sophomore in college. And one of the reasons that I started doing the show was because no one was interviewing comedians. Mm. You know, no one would give the time of day to a, and, and the respect of an art form to comedy. And, you know, it's a significant part of my show. It's not the only thing we do on Bullseye, but, you know, it's a third of it. And, you know, what I just wanted was I just thought, well, wouldn't it be great if someone asked David Wayne, for example, Louis C.K. These are people that were on when I was in college 10 years ago um, about their craft. And um, so the fact that we're now in a world where, like, people are exhausted by the number of people is sort of bums me out because, you know, um, it's a it's such it's something that I really believe in doing, and that's mm-hmm. why I do it, you know. And um, and so it's a it's a bummer that the that the market for that has become saturated. And I think that's not just because of Mark, but because of people copying Mark. It is interesting the way there is this perception, or maybe it's a reality that oh, another podcast interviewing comedians. Yeah, it's like everyone thinks that that's all there is. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you why there is a lot of podcasts interviewing comedians in my experience. Because comedians start podcasts, but they don't want to do any production work. So the only people – they don't want to prep to do a show without guests, which I can understand. I don't want to prep to do a show without guests yeah. either. That's why I have guests on all my shows. But they also um, they also don't want to do the work that's involved in getting guests that aren't just a friend of theirs. Right. And comedians are often only friends with other comedians. And they're available. <laughs> and they're Yeah, exactly. And they're around. They're used to do – I mean that was something that I learned early on in doing my show um, was that we could get anybody who was headlining in San Francisco. And there's two big comedy clubs in San Francisco that had na- big national headliners. So like people like Louis C.K. or Sarah Silverman or all these people that were on our shows in the early days – um, were at the time reasonably famous people. It's just that comedians, you know, they work at night and when they're on the road, they just do press during the day. So they're just used to doing whatever press comes along. So we could just ask them and they would just say yes and then they would be pleasantly surprised that we weren't dipshits. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, they're they're easy to book. I think it's cool when, you know, there's some people I see who come from the comedy world who have stretched out into other things that I, th- I think are neat, you know, um, uh, my friend Janet Varney has had a lot of cool non-comedy people on her show. Um, you know, and I... Uh, uh, we ha- I had her on mine. Yeah, I think Janet's, Janet's brilliant, hilarious, awesome lady. Another one of those people that uh, that's all about doing the annoying thing so that the thing gets done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and or I, I just had Julie Klausner co-hosting with me um, on Bullseye the last week and this coming week. She does a great show called How Is Your Week? And she does a lot of comedy-related stuff because she's a comedy writer and, and so on. But she interviews – she does a lot of great, thoughtful, funny interviews with authors and, you know, 
television people and blah, 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 blah. So, and, you know, it's because she puts in the work to be a real broadcaster. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, I think we are here. We are so close to running out of time, but I think we should just quickly do some just me or everyone so people can find out if they're freaks or not. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right. Patrick S. Brown. I don't use a top sheet in bed, just comforter or duvet. Um, I, I have gone through periods of my life where I've been just duvet. I was at a hotel in Europe. <laughs> I'm not trying to brag or anything yeah, else. Okay. And, but I was in Milan, Italy at a very nice hotel and there was no top sheet. And I got kind of freaked out because I thought it was lost. <laughs> I thought I had like – I was like pulling things up and down like what happened to the top right, sheet? Right. Where is it tucked? I, and then a bunch of people told me that it's like in, in at European hotels, apparently like your odds of getting a top sheet are like one in three. So – tell me you sleep American style. I know. Then they would just put a bunch of mayonnaise in the bed. <laughs> They, <laughs> so I think it is not just you. It's definitely not just you because I do this and Adam Carolla has a famous story about how he used to do this. Not because he preferred it, but because he didn't know any better. And that was where <laughs> the term Danny Two Sheets right, came from. Right. So. All right. Patrick S. Brown has a few. He also says, I start flushing the toilet before I'm done peeing. I assume this is a boys only thing. Whoa. Yeah, I don't do that. Whoa. I guess it's a Patrick only thing. You, that's yeah. just you, man. Yeah, man. That's just you. Unless you're talking about like at a urinal or something. How efficient even, even is your still, life? That's a power What play. are you doing that's so important that you got to save ever, those extra yeah. two seconds? And do you ever have to have to flush again? This guy is one of those guys that has a spreadsheet of all the of all. Oh, the he's things. like, I can shave off three seconds. Yeah, he's got it. He times everything with a stopwatch like Henry Ford yeah. on the assembly line. And yet here's one that shows that sometimes he's just into frivolity. Try to spit through my pee stream at a urinal when I'm drunk. <laughs> Anyone? Okay. Everybody does that. <laughs> Wait, really? No. <laughs> Who doesn't try and spit through their pee stream? What does that even mean? I think it's an. I mean, and doesn't that, does that just... mean you swallow your spit and try and will it down out through your wiener? Uh, no, I don't no, think no, so. No. I think he means go like. Puh. He wants to like, try and it's like playing like, swords with yourself. Yes. yes. That's just bad. That's bad business sense right there, man. You're asking Why for trouble. Why when you're right, drunk? Right. You're going to get too close to yeah. your stream. Is this something Even that you sober, hold down stupid. when you're sober? <laughs> like you're like, but when, I'll tell you, when, when I get Come a few Friday. drinks in me <laughs> and I get pretty wild, I start playing swords with myself using a combination of urine and spittle. <laughs> All right. Emma pressed. Whenever I accidentally meet someone's eye, I have to look directly at other people so they know I wasn't staring at them. Yeah, I do all sorts of weird things to cover up my accidental eye contact with someone sometimes i'll look back at them but then look like um deliberately at their forehead or at something above them which probably just makes them think i'm weird it doesn't actually do anything but i i totally relate to that even though i don't know if i do that one exactly you look at their forehead and then above them yeah to be like i wasn't looking at your eye i was looking at something right above you but the, like, like an angel and a devil that are giving them advice yeah it just makes me look insane i think or like an imaginary clock or something. Or on the but I've had that happen on the subway too, where then I'll try to look at other people as well to make it seem like oh I'm just looking around. I don't know. Intently. I think that maybe be I think that maybe growing up in a tough urban neighborhood as a skinny gay white guy 
led me to have relatively good control over who I do and do not make eye contact with. Oh, that's with. good. Because I get it very much like, don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look. Yeah, the, I, I think one person. of the big skills that you have to learn in, uh, in the inner city is you have to learn the ability to like keep your chin up and look like someone that someone wouldn't want to you know, jump or pick on or whatever – but then also don't look like someone who's challenging anyone. Yeah. You have to like – there's it's like a, a fine a line in chin. between. Like that says you have to learn to say with your body like, hey, I'm not challenging anybody. But if I was challenging someone, I could probably hold my own. How do you possibly make your body say that? I, I just got T-shirts printed. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> Gary, eye contact weirdness. Yeah, definitely. I yeah, I can totally relate to this one. All right. I don't stare above people's heads because that's just weird. And I if know. you ever did that to me, I would think you had altitude sickness. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing a, it, above me. And well, you're really tall. I know. So is so is Jesse. I mean, yeah. you're always wearing one of those angel halos because you're fifty percent <laughs> angel and fifty percent devil. My friend Dustin, when he talks to you, he looks like right above your head. It's really weird. I'm like, what? I mean, it's not so weird that I've ever actually said anything to him. It's just weird that I'm no. Now going that you to... say that, I've noticed that you have. Yeah. It's weird. What it's it, but it's a, a weird kind of like lack of. It's almost a pleasant lack of intensity because he can be sort of an intense person. I almost wonder if it's to offset. I now want to ask him what the hell. I, I almost wonder if it's to offset that. It's like, are you ever concerned that you've got stink lines coming up from your head? Maybe that's what he's looking at. No, but I thought, is there something weird on the top of my head? Is there a layer of frizz? What's happening? Butterfly. Oh, that'd be cute. Okay. Um, Ryan Cacophony. I'd love to believe Gary is the one singing the Just Me or Everyone song before the segment. Just Me or Everyone? That's just you. Yeah, it's, no it's Tom Rapp. No one wants to hear me singing. Trap dog. I did a segment on my show. My show, um, on Bullseye, there's this last segment, which is a rec- cultural recommendation for me called The Outshot. I did one about watching Cheers, and um, where I endorse Cheers. Mm-hmm. I take a lot of big chances on yeah, this. I, I know. endorse the single most popular television <laughs> comedy of all time. But um, I uh, I got th- like three different emails from people saying, I really appreciate your recommendation. I always thought that Woody sang the theme song. Like just people volunteering Even before that. he was on the show. Yeah, he was <laughs> not coach. on the show for like two and a yeah. half years. Huh. Yeah, people think that um, it's Mrs. Garrett singing the Facts of Life song. Yeah. It's not. They're it's silly. Not. Okay. Um, let's not see. all songs are sung by a person that's in the thing. Yeah. I don't think it's Mr. Belvedere singing the Mr. Belvedere song. I mean, no. I wish. But okay. Alan Thicke did write a lot of television themes. He wrote that, the Facts if you of think Life. That, he wrote the Facts of Life song. Yeah. There you go. Different strokes. Amazing. He's amazing. Sort of. And, and kind of a douche. Have you watched the aerobics, the aerobics championships that he hosted? You can watch them on YouTube. No. From like 1987. He is, sings this. this is, he sings an original song. The night? He sings an original song about aerobics. I'm going to have to find this. It's amazing. All right. The move done. Mm, something name being cut off. When I'm around pipes, propane tanks, or air compressors, I can't stop thinking about them exploding and killing me. Uh, no, I don't have that. I'm surprised I don't. No, definitely not. Is it possible that's a symptom of playing too many first-person shooters? It is, and I don't know why I know this, but I was talking to somebody about this once, and apparently it's like those things, especially like the ones for like your uh, your gas cooker, like you could fire a bullet into one of those and nothing would happen apparently. Oh, really? They're like, yeah, they have like crazy standards by the government for like what has to be 
That was me. Sorry. No problem. Oil uh, drums, on the other hand. Yeah, that's sketchy. Oil, oil drums, especially if it's oil. red. Yeah, you would know. <laughs> I did first have this thought the other day, which is, why don't we all walk around wearing bulletproof vests all the time? Seems sweaty. I mean, yeah, and I've never had one on, so for all I know, they impede movement and they're really uncomfortable. You may be taking this anti-fashion stance <laughs> a little bit too what, far. What I'm saying is, something exists so that they you weigh like be shot. forty pounds. Okay, that's. But is it? But I, I'm just saying. You I, could just not, not a, drive not a, a car. That thought. would make you a lot safer than than wearing a bulletproof vest everywhere. Okay. Um, when I have received a birthday card in the past, I've held onto it for months before throwing it out out of guilt. Yes, that yeah. is me that I have trouble throwing that stuff away. Anything months? sentimental. What is wrong with you? I got stuff from when I was like 17. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that stuff's still hanging around. Because it's definitely me. This is a morbid thought, but everything, I'm like, it could be the last one. This could be the last card from this person. Oh, I thought you meant this might be the last birthday card you ever get because you're about to die and you want someone to inherit your birthday cards. No, I didn't mean that. I never went into it like that, but after my first grandparent died, that became very apparent. Yeah. Turns into an emotional hoarder. I I don't keep any of them. I just try and get rid of them. But we do. I have been. You you probably get like a nice note sometimes from a fan here at the office. And like we get those too. And sometimes people send a thoughtful gift. And then I feel... Really bad. Yeah. Especially if I don't want the gift. <laughs> yeah. I like want to put it, like I really appreciate it, but then I'm not sure what to do with it after that. I know. Right? Because someone sent you like a really nice note about how you help them get through a hard time in their lives or something like that. Like you sincerely really appreciate that. Like it's very touching. Right. But then you're like, okay, so what do I do with this? Uh, yeah, I tend to keep that, but then I, t- I keep way too much paper. Right. Real life hoser. I you can say. only you can only achieve sexual satisfaction if you read something about how much someone appreciates you. It's true. Um, I sing along to music in my car, and when I come to a red light, I will keep singing but barely move my lips until I go again. <laughs> I don't do that, but I can relate to it. No, I don't relate to that at all. This person's no. Okay, that's, that's not me. When you're stopped at a stoplight, isn't that when you're supposed to do like the weirdest inside the car things? Yeah, isn't so that people, the isn't safe that, like point? when you pick your nose and whatever. So, so is this person like <laughs> rocking shirt out off? when they're going 65 miles yeah. an hour and not really paying attention? But when they come to the dormant part of their drive, they're calming down. Well, when I you're think, singing, no, I don't I buy think it. singing would distract you from driving. Because here's the thing: you're like rocking out while you're driving. And then when you're driving on the freeway or on this, down the street, like no one can get a good look at you. Yeah, no. So I, the concern yeah. is that someone's going to be passing by and, or, and they're going to get a good look at you. Okay. Well, that, that one's not me because I consider my car my little bubble and I don't care what anyone sees me doing in there. Yeah, man. I'm listening to MOP. When Annie Up comes on, I'm fucking jamming out. Damn right. I'm mashing out specifically with the mash out posse. <laughs> All right. DPNO10. When taking trash to office building dumpster, we'll pick up other bags that miss the target and throw them in too. Uh, only if someone else is looking. Really? <laughs> Pretty much. Do you, hate, do you hate trash bags? My wife hates trash bags, so I get lots of extra points for taking out the trash. It doesn't bother me bags. at all, um, but some people really don't – like notably don't like taking out the trash. I don't like – lifting up the trash can if it's disgusting. The trash bag doesn't bother me mm-hmm. and my own trash doesn't bother me. Um, but other people's trash is disgusting to me sometimes, especially if there's bugs or dog poo swirling around it or in it. No. And oftentimes there is. <laughs> I don't know a lot of dog poo enthusiasts. 
Certain dogs. Yeah. Certainly. <laughs> no. All right. James L. Wilson. If restroom has hot hair, hot air hand dryer, I push button, but then wipe hands on pants and walk out. Yeah, you're fucking sick of it. I don't want to wait. I'm not going to sit around there waiting for I my hand. I hate that thing. I, it's horrible. The only thing that's good is the air oh, blade. Oh, like the Dyson, the Dyson one? Where you air stick blades. your hand in yes. and it goes, like my someone's... hands two or three times when I catch one of those. Yeah. those I lo- it makes your hand look all squished like someone who's experiencing G's or on a roller coaster. It's like a reverse Silkwood shower. You know, I have something to admit. Mm-hmm. I keep hearing people talk about Silkwood shower. I don't know what it re- – I know it's the movie, but okay, what happened? Okay, so in the movie Silkwood, she – Are you with me, Gary? She is ex- – I looked it up. Oh. But, <laughs> but I, was, I was in the same boat for eight or nine months around here. And then finally one day I was like, I've got Google. We should make a list of the references that one is expected to, or should know if they're going to work around here. If you call someone blowhardy outside of the studio, are they supposed to look at you weird? Because that's happened two or really? three times Really? I didn't even occur to me that that what one is What is your not... definition of blowhardy? Someone who's a blowhard. Yeah. Okay. I could see how it would come up around here, but it's not a <laughs> word that... We use it all the time here. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so Silkwood shower. Um, it is in Silkwood. She gets exposed to radiation mm. um, in the nuclear plant when the plant starts leaking. And, uh, and now I will say also, don't correct me on this, anyone who's listening, because I last watched this movie when I was sixteen. But she gets exposed to radiation when the plant starts leaking, and she has to go through this decontamination process that is um, essentially like a combination of a shower and a sexual assault. Like it is the most traumatizing, horrific process. Like people in contamination suits scrubbing her with metal brushes. Oh my God. And you like hoses firing stuff at her and she's like crying and cause it's painful cause it's so painful and horrible and nightmarish. And it's not her fault. Huh? It's the fault of those big bosses, Mr. Burns and, Smithers. Right. I may be confusing. <laughs> no, I think I got that right. Now, is that like one of the most stick sticking with you scenes? It's horrifying. It's crushing. It's absolutely the crushing. Shower. That scene. It's, now I know. It's terrifying. I mean, I, when I say when I say that it's like a combination of a shower and a sexual assault, like I'm not being hyperbolic. Like right. it's not sexual, mm-hmm. but it has that level of emotional intensity and violation. Meryl Streep? Yeah. Okay. Now I know. Well, on that note, geez. <laughs> Jesse, thank you so much for doing this. This has been delightful. Oh, of course. Anytime. Um, thank you for inviting me. Where can everyone find you and all your things? Oh, MaximumFun.org is the easy place to find it. And if you want to learn about pocket handkerchiefs some more for some reason, you might. Put, that's PutThisOn.com. Okay. And on Twitter, you are? At Jesse Thorne, J-E-S-S-E-T-H-O-R-N. Great. Thank you. And you can follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. You can follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-N-B-F. You can follow Gary at G. Patrick Smith. If you would like to email the show, it's A-R-I-Y-N-B-F at AllisonRosen.com. And if you're going to buy something on Amazon, which you are because they have everything, uh, why not click through the banner on my website because that sends a few cents or even dollars um, uh, my way and that helps the show. And it doesn't cost you anything extra. And thank you so much for listening. I love you guys and I will talk to you next week. Bye. Hey, do you know? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Thank you for choosing the Allison Rosen Show.
show Digital.